Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you want to get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of the Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play the Godfather, now at ChampaCasino.com. Welcome to the family. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. Lucky Land Casino. Asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void were prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18. Plus. Bank of Ireland is looking out for your financial well being. They want to help protect you from fraud. So whether it's Black Friday, Cyber Monday, or even just plain old Tuesday, be careful online. Don't assume that every text message or email you get claiming to be from a bank, a delivery service, or any company is legit. And remember, Bank of Ireland will never send you a text message or an email with a link asking for your full 365 PIN number or one-time passcodes, so don't give them out. Search Bank of Ireland Security. And together, this Christmas, we won't let the fraudsters win. Begin. Bank of Ireland is regulated by the Central Bank of Ireland. Welcome, everyone, to the Blood and Mud podcast. The podcast is back to the original lineup this week. It's like a sort of Fleetwood Mac sort of reunion the unexpected Fleetwood Matt reunion that everybody Nobody expected ever <laughs> yeah indeed um, I am yeah. Lee and I'm back <laughs> I, I thought one of us was going to make a joke there um, didn't we, happen we're just like, ah, this is what happens we're out, yeah. we're out of sync yeah. the chemistry's right. gone one week we're God, out one week me. It's, it's all over already it's all over the fucking shop but I am Lee <laughs> and over there I'm back and over there is uh, I'm still Josh still m- happily back in the co-pilot's chair this week not gonna not gonna lie I think you're quite good at the old hosting thing, but it doesn't sit comfortably on upon yourself, does it? No, I'm not a natural front man, you know. I'm 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 more of a kind of sit at the side and say snarky things for an hour <laughs> kind of guy. You may have noticed over the last five years. Listen. That's why this works. As you know, I mean, I did get a few messages checking I was all right. I am okay. I think it's no great secret that I do work in adult social care. So, yeah, you've got a lot on at the moment. So no, it may not be the last time that a load of shit all kind of came up and had to be dealt with last week and my brain was... And also my mum's dealing with quite a bit of a furlough wranglings. Oh, even more fun. And all that. Yeah. So was, it all came on top of it last week. So I had to, I just couldn't I couldn't find a, the headroom to, to do it. But Robbie stepped in beautifully, as he does. He did, as he always does. Fair play to him. What have you been up to then, this weekend? Anything? Uh, I... I, I 
I, I joined the ranks of people who own uh, Power Sanders last week. Orbital was, or Bell? Uh, uh, Orbital, obviously. You know, yeah, I mean, I'm, not, I'm not going to. I'm not going to dive straight into belt, you know. It's yeah. it's like going from owning a hacksaw to a bandsaw in one movie. You just can't do it. And all I really need, like I know that ultimately, intellectually, I need it for all the horribly orange varnished doors in my house that I want to paint white. Um, but on this occasion, all I was doing was like, literally, I'd filled in some holes where I ripped off a dado rail and I just wanted to sand the wall down. And it was proper like walnut fucking sledgehammer situation it's like i really do not need this fancy power so cheap to... now power tools Honestly, are so cheap, cheap as cheap as fuck i was sort of whinging to my mother last week on the phone going oh i'm gonna have to fucking get a sanding block and sand all this shit down it's gonna take me fucking ages and she was like why don't you just buy a power sander i was like went on amazon and i was like oh it's like 40 quid fuck me that's <laughs> I mean... probably a, like lower it's like a lower to mid-range one that as well yeah yeah, I was like, that's all right. Yeah, it's Black and Decker, whatever, sure. Can't fall yeah. off, can you? Tell yeah. you what, Pat. I mean, I'm sure they use those power tools to keep the children in the factory working. They threaten them with those tools to turn yeah. them out this yeah. cheaply. Absolutely. I know that's problematic, but I'm choosing to ignore it. So There's, no, the there's it no ethical consumption under capitalism, guys. You know, you've, you've got to pick your battles. Justified, Josh. Whatever I buy, it's all a problem. <laughs> Therefore, I'm just going to go straight for the cheapest. It is, the, it is the cunt's the human of... capacity to self-justify <laughs> never never ceases to amaze me it's like okay i buy a cheap orbital santa but i buy an ethical i also bought this week an ethical sweater from patagonia who make all of their stuff you know ethically and recycle it all so on balance i'm fine that's what i'm saying exactly so i went to speaking of ethical things i went to um i've got a week off this week which I'm enjoying greatly, but and my wife's yes. got a week off as well. So today we went oh. to a farm shop that's not Hello. far from where we live, and there's a cafe there, you know. So I went so in the cafe, yeah. and, it, and it's all very ethical in there, locally sourced and all that. And Love I fell into it. the terrible trap of we sat down and said, "Can I?" They were doing burgers. I'll have one of them. Can I have a diet coke? No problem. Mm-hmm. And of course, they wander over, and, and what is it he wanders it's not over? A with? It's not a fucking diet coke, is it? No, it's it's some a... kind of ethical cola. Oh god! I so straight away, I was that. like, oh for fuck's sake! And of course, you drink it, and it tasted exactly like if you basically melt allowed four Mister Freeze cola flavored ice pops to melt, <laughs> and then drank it. It was fucking disgusting. Was it Karma Cola? By yes, any it chance? was. Fuck me, like. I am absolutely in favour of all of that kind of stuff, but it all tastes like fucking dog shit. It really does. Real cola nuts and natural sweetness stevia. Well, that's why it tastes like absolute shit. This is why it tastes like (laughs) mashed wasps and you're charging me £3.50 for it. Because the thing is, what they should do is just make something that tastes as close as you can get there without breaking into that vault in Atlanta like yes. coca-cola like and you can do it you know but fucking sainsbury's and tesco's have been at this fucking shit for years and i won't even get it that. no neither will i but like if you, you know, if you want to make ethical shit don't worry about fucking sweetening it with natural stevia just sweeten it with whatever the fuck coke sweeten yeah. it with i and... want the fucking phosphoric acid poured down my neck is what i yeah. want Honestly, and, also, and see but i never learned this happened to me in, in a Fucking craft beer shit house in East London as well. That happened to be. No, I got Dolphin. 
always in those craft beer places. Yeah. If you want the Coke, it's never fucking Coke. Dolston Cola they had there. Now, Dolston is a shithole in London. They tried to make it look like it's up and coming now, but it's fucking horrible. But so basically, and so you, one, your branding is fucked for a start with. But anyway, this is absolutely awful. But you see, I didn't learn. I should know when I go into these places, I should say, can you tell me what Diet Coke you've actually got? And when they say it's whatever, that I go, okay, I won't be having that then. Yeah. It's, it's the number of times that you... Because obviously everyone does it. You say, can I get a Coke? And if you're in an annoying place, they say, is Pepsi all right? Um, and I go, yes. And I go, yeah, and nobody's ever said no. But like quite a lot of these places, you order a Coke and they don't give you any option. They're no, just, he didn't tell me. He just turned up no. already opened, basically <sighs> shanghaied me into drinking shit pop. It's and, like, they, and it tastes no better than the fucking roller cola that your auntie tried thing. to ram down your it, neck when you were seven. It tastes much worse than Corona Cola, which <laughs> is a you know, well, Welsh people of my age will remember that. You know, it tastes like the cheapest fucking pop that money can buy, and yet they'll charge you about four quid for it in a pub. And Horrendous, like, yeah. So honestly, lesson a, to you all: if you end up in one of these fucking places, ask before you buy. Because yeah. otherwise you'll end Mo- up like me, sipping and wincing for about 20 minutes. To the point at which my <laughs> wife said, you don't have to drink that, you know, you can order something else. <laughs> and I thought, you know, that's fair enough, I will do that. But So I had to, felt like I had, I had to finish it. Anyway. That's the thing, you don't want to waste it because it's already ethical bloody fucking Coke. So if you just pour it away, you've effectively just thrummed your nose at the whole concept. So you've got to drink it. How unethical just... can Coke be? I mean, seriously, it's all made I'm sure, in America. I'm sure, it? re- I'm sure it's really, really bad. Like, I've got no doubt about that, because it's a multinational corporation. Of course it's awful. However, like... It tastes better than all the tell, others. Just tell, tell me if it's Karma Cola, and I'll order a... You know, I'll order something else. I'll order lemonade. I'll order, or I'll order yeah. a lemonade or a sparkling orange, because there's less you can fuck up with that. It's exactly what it's so My next drink was a lemonade, because that can never yeah. really go wrong, can it? No, there's only so Unless many... Unless they bring you bitter lemon by mistake or something. Uh... Honestly. But anyway, sorry, enough time wasted on. But I just wanted to give you, I'm just trying to, you know, educate you. If you're in these places, yeah. don't fall into the trap. Yeah, be of careful. Ending up with crap coke. I was in that exact situation when we went to the Eden Project a couple of weeks ago when we were in Cornwall, and of course they haven't got fucking coke. So it was just like, you can have, you can have sweetened elderflower, and it's like, oh, that's not fucking diet coke, is it? This is the worst thing about not being a drinker. From my mm. point of view. Yeah, right? you have to deal with this a lot, I because guess. Because people come to your house, very nice and well-intentioned people, who say, oh, oh Lee, no. I bought this for you. And you're like, right, okay. Why mm. the fuck would I want to drink that? Because it's some kind of elderflower presse or pink Ugh. grapefruit fucking fizzy middle-class nightmare. When actually it's just like, <laughs> just bring me a two-litre bottle of Diet Coke. That's all I want. It's fine. <laughs> it's, it's like... You do. This is my argument against Schlur, right? Yes. Schlur is just pointless. Like my parent, my parents are both teetotal, and so, like Sunday lunch at my house for my entire would would be Schlur, which we only drank on for Sunday lunch, and it's sure Schlur's fucking rub. Like compared to Coca Cola, right? Or Pepsi Max or Diet Coke. Take your fucking pick. Schlur is fucking rubbish. And yet, for some reason, every Sunday I had to not drink the Coke that I would drink the rest of the week. And I've oh, I see, you were allowed Coke, but you had to have Schlur yeah, yeah, on yeah. a Sunday. 
Yeah. Oof, I'll tell you what, that's a fucking... Honestly. That's a safeguarding that's a, referral in my book. <laughs> it's just an absolute, like, moral fucking, you know, Mobius <laughs> strip of insanity. It's like, where do you start here? That's your first ten therapy sessions, the Sunday <laughs> schlur that you need to get through. I think it's, my mother still does it, except now I'll just go to the fridge and I just get myself a, a glass of lemonade or something yeah. that I actually want to drink. I'm like, no, crack on. Right. Don't serve dinner yet, Mum. I've got to go to the fucking shell garage to get some coke. <laughs> yeah, so there you go. There you go, yeah. If you want to get Don't tolerate karma cola. That's, tell what, us any, that's, that's the message. Well, you've yeah. had to tolerate crap pop. <laughs> then you can get in touch with me at Blood and Mud or I'm Lee at bloodandmud.com on the email either. What about you? Uh, at Josh Gardner, at Rugby Shirt Watch. Uh, I'm trying to say shirt a lot more now because yeah. people keep saying, so, yeah, I've got a complex about it now. Lots of shirt when action because there is a new season. I know we're all completely discombobulated, hell, but a new season there's is a new starting. season starting. I know. <laughs> it's taken me by surprise as well because obviously it's a mess because teams, some teams have, st- have started playing in next season's kits already and some seasons like Worcester have been playing in their new kit for ages. And Bristol have got the bonkers situation where they're still playing in their old kit for this season, but right. they're wearing their new Umbro training gear already. So it's like they've got diff- It's like the 1970s. They've got a different off-field and on-field manufacturer. Beautiful. I kind of like it. But yeah, it's it's bananas. Sorry, I'm just saying my video's going to be funny. So I'm just uh, <laughs> there. You go. A little bit of catch up for you all there. Um, <laughs> so we are on Acast we are on what else are we on Apple Podcasts uh, Apple Podcasts way, Spotify really. probably Podfollow now Spotify. I do I that Podfollow yeah. thing oh yeah yeah you go to podfollow.com and you put blood and in we don't come up yeah I had to write to him again and say excuse me <laughs> there was loads of ones that were like randomly about blood and the like as somebody found out last week there's one called Mud and Blood which Mud is and about, Blood which is about tabletop board gaming yeah which is possibly an even more niche audience than what we're currently doing. It would only so be more niche if they were the left-wing woke um, <laughs> of tabletop board gaming. I kind of Maybe I'm sort of prejudging all tabletop board gamers, but I kind of feel like there's, the default is probably to be quite lefty. And you reckon? The tabletop. I don't know about maybe. gaming culture to come to that conclusion. Maybe, so. maybe. Actually, yeah, I mean, then I think about every Warhammer kid I knew. And I'm not going to discard myself from that as a 14-year-old, but like, yeah, okay, maybe. I never got into all that. I remember going on a school trip to Manchester and wandering into a games workshop shop. Strange place. Thinking really it was a toy place. shop. I mean, Which it I suppose is. it is. It absolutely it is, but either, a really it? fucking expensive one. So when I was like, I don't understand this. Excuse me, where's your Playmobil? But it was, it was, but yeah, it was, yeah, very odd. Yeah, it had its hooks in me for, for like about a year, maybe two years between the ages of like 12 and 14. And I'm fascinated. And I spent an fa- awful lot of my savings there. I'm fascinated by the fact it's, and it's never died in the Warcraft era. Do you know what I mean? I oh thought my God. they should be shut down because of everything's gone it's, online, you know. Do you know like sex that shops. Games Workshop, right? is more valuable to the British economy than the fishing industry. And that, <laughs> that is didn't a come fucking, up in a Brexit debate, did it? That is a fucking fact. Games Workshop is a billion-dollar company now. In this country? Is it a in British this, company? Well, yes, yeah, based in fucking Nottingham. Brilliant. And they, make all, and they make all the fucking plastic models in Nottingham. That's why... I mean, that's not why they're so expensive. They're so expensive because it's one of the greatest fucking markups in the history of the world. <laughs> but... 
Yeah. It's got a bigger They're markup a... than fucking Karma Cola, and it's not even fucking ethical. <laughs> yeah, Games Workshop is worth more to the British economy every year than the fishing industry, uh, and it's plastic soldiers made in Nottingham. There you go. Well, I bet the EU are telling them how to make plastic soldiers, and that'll get probably sorted are. after they the 1st of January. Sort that right out. Or Pointy something bits everywhere. else that people get worked up about. Um, <laughs> They'll be able to have someone's eye out instantly. Be brilliant. We are also on Patreon. We are. Dot com. Patreon.com slash blood and mud, if you will, where you can come and join and give us your support, for which we are endlessly thankful. Indeed. $2 support gets you all your additional stuff. But also, if you do the $5 support, then you also get a, your name read out on here and us. We have a go at deciding what kind, exactly what kind of rugby player that we think you are. Somebody wrote in, and I can't remember the name, I'll find it in a minute, and said, we've missed a million-dollar-making opportunity because we could offer to now say what kind of military <laughs> animal somebody is with their name. Because I am telling you, the reader interaction on the military animal is, well, I'll come Honestly, to it later. we've never, never seen anything like it. So anyway, thank you very much for the VIP lounge entrance this week. You are number one, Adrian Donoghue. Indeed. Now, I had Adrian Donoghue as the outside half for Ulster in the late 80s and early 90s. He was such an incredibly boring player that in comparison, Eric Elwood was described as the mercurial choice for <laughs> Ireland. Well, it's funny you should say that, actually, because I had Adrian down as a willowy outside half for Blackrock College in the mid-1990s, <laughs> uh, whose fine sidestep and penchant for wearing oversized jerseys had him dubbed as Dublin's Arwell Thomas, and he thought it was a compliment. <laughs> Bless him. Imagine that. <laughs> Next up, thank you, Adrian. Next up, we've got Lawrence Osmond. What are you? What have you? What kind of player is Lawrence Osmond in your? Uh, well, Lawrence Canadian? is one of the Osmond family's distant Merthyr relations, and uh, that's a fact, by the way. Uh, Donny Osmond does have Welsh relatives in Merthyr. They did a program about it in two thousand and five. Anyway, um, Lawrence is less about sort of the smooth, you know, family friendly singing, and more about screaming in the opposition's faces while he's held back by half of his team. Uh, he never lasts more than four games at any one club before being politely asked to fuck off. Uh, no, I, I do We've got similar themes coming, but obviously mm. these names are so archetypal. We can't help but bring you forward. <laughs> you mentioned there, Donny Osmond's got ditch, distant Merthyr relatives. He does. Tom Cruise's four times great grandfather came from Flint. Really? Yeah, well, they found that out. And obviously, that like, the local mayor, and the local press went fucking bananas trying to get Tom oh, Cruise bet. to somehow come and visit Flint. Well, that actually happened with Donny Osmond because obviously he's nowhere near as famous as Tom Cruise. And uh, yeah. he, he did a programme where he was trying to explore his Welsh roots in Merthyr, which was at a, a meeting of cultures. Welsh nanas meets Donny Osmond. I bet they loved him. They fucking loved him, mate. Anyway. Yeah. So Lawrence. Tom Cruise didn't come back to Flint. But if he did, he'd, no. be called Tom, he'd be, probably be called Tom the Films, wouldn't he? Or something. He would be, yeah. Lawrence Osmond, I've got Lawrence Osmond as a hooker who in an 18-year career span around the Midlands played for 16 clubs, Lovely. such as his penchant for upsetting people and his penchant for getting <laughs> red cards. He was too much of a liability. <laughs> this number of clubs is all the more remarkable when you consider that for five of those 18 years, he was inside for armed robbery. <laughs> I mean, clearly we're we are... There's something about... Lawrence, that's just kind of yeah. something about Adrian that said something about like Irish out half. So let's yeah. find out if we, we're on the same thing with with Nick. So finally, <laughs> thank you. Finally, Nick Reed, we've got here. 
So I'll, I'm going to read mine out. And if you start laughing halfway through, I'll know that this is on. <laughs> I've got Nick Reed as a blind side with 300 caps for the Brumbies. And, he, and yet he never features in a single conversation about the greatest super rugby back row. <laughs> I mean, I did go Antipodean and back row. So there's some. <laughs> but I had Nick as uh, Kieran's second cousin. Um, oh, yes. Obviously, obviously, yes. obviously sh- shares his, his relative's enjoyment of the back row, if not his talent. But he's parlayed that sort of weird Kieran Reed, dead behind the eyes smile thing that he also shares into a successful career in local politics, where he's the alderman of Christchurch City Council. I was thinking about um, Kieran Reed the other day because I, I, I was reflecting. I don't know why it came to my head about the whole. No, no, no. Remain. No, <laughs> remain. No, remain. 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 <laughs> the, the, the the lies thing. And I ref- and I watched the video of that decision again because I've not done it for a while. So I pulled it up on YouTube. It's amazing. And it's like that is Romain Poit, the worst decision I may have ever seen Honestly, on a rugby it's field. Absolute, like I was delighted in the it moment. It is so obviously it's a penalty. Unbelievably bad. You have to do like Fermat's last the- theorem <laughs> of rugby law gymnastics to somehow think that and it yet is still. On the, being on the wrong end of one of the wrongest decisions to ever happen in a high-profile game, like Kieran Reid still remains a very nice man throughout. Yes, and just... even to the, even to the point where he looks like he's literally just you know watching someone like killing his fucking cat in front of him when he's being like when they're jointly lifting the trophy together. <laughs> He he's yeah. still still happy, or you know, he's still a very nice man all the time, and he genuinely might be one of the nicest men in the world to remain oh, to you, not call Poit an absolute twat and get himself sent off in that situation. It's just remarkable levels of restraint. Yeah, because I played in a game once where the referee was like not on our side, shall we say? Mm. And and at one, and then finally it was our number eight. Just at one point, just went, "Oh, why don't you fuck off?" <laughs> <laughs> exactly. He got himself sent off, funnily enough. But, uh, but it was but in a way, he just, the number that knew what was coming, he just couldn't fucking, he wasn't dealing with it anymore. But yeah, it was a, uh, so yeah, it's amazing that Kieran Reid, in that pressure moment, didn't just go, Ramayan, why did you oh, fuck, fuck off? off. <laughs> <laughs> it's the fact that he gave smiling. it in the first place. So much of it is fucking, and Sam Warburton was just walked over there, was thinking, oh, fuck, I'll give this a go, but fucking hell. I'm Honestly, no it's one of the it. greatest, it's one of the greatest bits of like Jedi mind trickery that I've ever seen happen on a rugby field. Like he somehow changed his mind in that, and I don't know how he did it. Because even if he said, well, can you just have a look at it again? Because he might not have played at it. And you think, well, all right, last minute of the game, doesn't matter now, does it? Let's have yeah, a look at it. Yeah. And then you watch the video and you go, no, he he caught it. Caught it. And then put yeah. it down. Anyway, yeah. sorry. It's Yeah, I mean, don't get me wrong. Nobody wanted to make Ken the villain of that tour. Oh, God, no. And he could see Ken caught it and thought, oh, fuck, and quickly like, uh, go. Yeah, that's the thing. Ken knew exactly yeah. what he'd done and exactly what had happened. But it obviously, Roman decided that an instinctive reaction doesn't count. Was yeah, which honestly, you try that in the disciplinary panel, can't you? But I just instinctively <laughs> punched him. I wasn't really thinking. I, ex- I assume that that's going to be whenever the next high-profile disciplinary thing. It was just acting out of instinct. Yeah, it's like a it's like a sort of mental incapacity defence. <laughs> I was in a fugue state when I did it. I just caught the ball. 
Oh, as I realised anyway, I let go of it, yeah. so technically I can't be held responsible can't, for yeah, that. Thing. I knew what, I knew that I'd fucked up, so I instantly stopped doing it. It's not. <laughs> it's not good. Anyway, we begin oh. as we always begin. Twenty-one minutes this week. That's not bad at all for an it's intro. Right, isn't it? With a player spotted sent in Monday, for mundane spottings of players, Stuart Colley is on the DMs, mm. and he says, "Hamish Watson in Sainsbury's by Murrayfield." He was wearing a face mask, so I wasn't sure initially, but the hair was unmistakable. He said, "I was going to say you'd, you'd notice his hair right now, wouldn't you?" And then Stuart adds, as a side note, he's not the biggest back row when you see him on telly, but I can confirm in real life he's absolutely fucking enormous. I think, yeah, it's it's more of a sort of how big other rugby players are. Yes, it, it, that's the issue there, isn't it? It's what I call a John Stockton syndrome. <laughs> Although he is genuinely only about five foot eleven, John Stockton, isn't he? <laughs> how how tall is the Mish? I'm going to have to look this up. I'm guessing he's five eleven. He's five eleven. That's my so, height. Well, I'm just over five eleven. The it's difference very is, that. That I'm not he's... six foot, but I'm not five eleven either. I don't know why it's important <laughs> that I clarify that. But he's like, if you put seventeen stone or sixteen and a half stone on a five foot eleven guy, yeah, it's pretty big. It's, isn't it? it's big. Yeah, he's. He's 103 kgs, according I to Wikipedia. I don't understand kilograms. No, neither do I. It's funny but how your brain works on measurements and things. Because if somebody yeah. says, I'm 1.8 metres tall, so I don't really understand that. No. But then if somebody says that this is 14 inches and three quarters, so I don't understand that either. Can I have that in millimetres, <laughs> please? Yeah, exactly. My brain works imperial with weights, and yeah. but only for people weights. Yeah, and I only work imperial in length when it's height. If it's about yeah. like measuring something, like a shelf. I, meters, yeah, yeah. It's got to be meters. And it's terrible because uh, I, I'm a bit of, I've become a woodworking sad owner. You have. I? You built a fucking log store at the did, weekend. I did build a log store Hark at the weekend. You. I enjoyed it as well. But anyway, the um, when you all the brilliant videos online for woodworking are American, and I can't decipher are. them. Because it's like, just just use your, just get your jig out and set it to three point. <laughs> What's well, not even three points, it's three and three quarters and 14 sixteenths. Like, what the fuck? <laughs> Seven eighths of an inch and all this shit. Oh, I mean, clue. that's the that's the issue. Like in my day job, we have to deal with this as well because everything. Oh, you are to an do international with, brand. Every, every, well, no, but everything to do with the with guitars because you know the electric guitar was basically invented in America. Mm. Still works in Imperial. Oh, it does. So it? yeah, it's twenty. You know, it's it's twenty eighth and seven eighth inch scale lengths, and it's you know nine inch fretboard radiuses and all this sort of stuff, and like. That doesn't make any sense to me. Like, I don't know what any of this means, but... Stuart, your player spotted was so mundane, it caused us to have probably the most mundane conversation we've ever had on this podcast, and that's <laughs> going... The, that is fucking imperial, going somewhere. About the imperial measurement system. Fuck yes, me. fucking hell. The self-loathing is real. But if you want oh, to write yes. in to us and tell us about a mundane player spotted you've had, I don't know, maybe you've seen, I don't know, Nathan Brew attempting to operate the pedestrian crossing. Or something like that. And then you can get in touch with us. You can dream. At Blood and Mud or LeahBloodandMud.com. Or, you can, of course, you can use the Patreon messaging service if you are one of those lovely people. Oh, damn right. Uh, thank you very much. Now then, it is time. <laughs> it is time. Before we get into the... <laughs> yeah. This is the... I've been just thinking about this for the last 20-odd minutes, so... It, you know, let's not try and analyse how we got here. Let's just mm-hmm. accept the fact that we are here, that we now have a military animal of the week. I don't understand how we got here. 
I do you know where this started? Remember. Robbie was on, and yeah, I, I said, that. we talked about Tasker Watkins being a war Fucking hero. Fucking right, we and did, And I said, we? was he the goat? Because he looked like one. And this, that was the... The, the little and then, acorn, yes, and then then we went into we went into the the misbehaving goat that got demoted, and then you went and on to from, Sir Nils the penguin, and then with Nils Olaf, of course, and then it's been oh, ne- we've never God. looked back. So here we are. So so that's how we got here. We don't question it. We just go to those gentlemen, and the military Absolutely animal not. of the week, the MAW, the more, if you will, is is a thing now. And actually, Absolutely. as I said on the Twitter last week, you all know what this week's going to be. Because I am not, no word of a lie, I had at least, at least 50 people writing to me on Twitter in some, in some way to nominate the bomb rat. I had to, to tweet out at about 8 o'clock on Friday or whenever it was, please stop telling us about the bomb rat. <laughs> because I just got so many people just going, if you say, this is interesting, like, yeah, like, God bless them all, you're lovely. But fucking hell, it just we makes got you a lot of, nobody we wants got a, a lot rugby, of engagement. Nobody wants a rugby podcast anymore. That's no. not what we are. God, no. And obviously, we need to do confirm that obviously last week, Robbie said that there was a story that was embargoed. Yes, and this was it. Of course it was. But uh, it, this is the world we live in now, that there is an embargo on a story about a rat getting a medal. <laughs> Look, you've got to protect the, the impact of the story. You've got to control the message even when that message is about a giant rat. So this week's Military Animal of the Week, ladies and gentlemen, is... Of course. Magawa, M-A-G-A-W-A. Is Magawa? Yes. Magawa? 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 The rat. The bomb rat. Who is... I can't, st- I can't stop singing Rage Against the Machine's bomb track, but I've changed it to bomb rat. I, I mean, that's going to be a song in a couple of weeks for us, isn't it? When we've got more time to think about this. Probably it's just a, it's just another bomb rat, but he's not just another bomb rat. He's not just because another bomb rat. <laughs> far from it. He's a giant African pouched rat. That's the first Damn thing right to understand about him. But where's he finding mines? He's finding mines in Colombia. He's an international African rat. It would seem. <laughs> I thought it was Cambodia, not Colombia. Oh, it is Cambodia. Yeah, well, but still, Colombia. either way, still another continent, pal. Is that what yeah. I mean? So he's cleared more than 141,000 square metres of land in an effort that's earned him the Dickin Medal, the Animal George Cross. If you don't know what that is now, if you don't know what the Dickin Medal is now, why are you listening to this podcast? Because you should know what it is. They go, do you know how big a uh, a giant pouch rat goes? I mean, you can probably guess it's pretty big. Bigger than a normal yeah. rat, I'm guessing. So what, about the size of a Jack Russell? Uh, yeah, they, they weigh between one and one and a half kilos. So not that big. They're probably about, nose to tail, they're probably, yeah, 30, 40 centimetres, which, I mean, is, it's bigger than most people would want you want, your, you want one in your house, would you? You'd probably shit no. it if it come wandering through your door. Although, fair play to, to Magawa. He's, you know, aside from his terrifying yellow teeth, he's, he's not an, un, an unhandsome young man, you know? He's the first uh, rat in the charity's 77-year history to receive such an honour. Yeah. Now, so there is now one rat and one cat that have had a, a dicky medal. <laughs> Breaking the monopoly, well, the duopoly of the pigeons and the dogs that have, have, domi- and the have odd, dominated. The odd fucking horse the in odd there. The odd horse yeah. every now and again. What I, I love mean, about I bomb s- rats, right, all right, is that they've been not just 
trained to detect landmines, which mm. is pretty good. Oh, yeah. They can also sniff out tuberculosis, which... In landmines or in, in other things? In people, I think. I don't know how it works. But there's even talk, in the, as, as part of the, uh, the, the sort of wider coverage around Magawa and his, his Dickin medal... Um, the hero rats, as they're known, because um, basically the hero rats can smell chemicals, can't they? Mm. And they reckon that they can train them to smell the chemical compounds present in coronavirus. So you could basically wow. have a you could have a bomb rat at an airport or at a pub or whatever, and if he sniffed any corona on you, just get out. So apparently he's going to enjoy a watermelon over the weekend because that's his treat. Yeah, and likes a banana as well. What it's I like, like about it is. What I like about it is, is that we're finally turning the tide on the terrible, terrible reputation that rats have. Hashtag yeah. Rat Lives Matter. Hashtag Rat History Month. Yeah, I mean, I'm here for it. Like they're going to save us all from everything, and all they ask in exchange are some watermelons and bananas. And frankly, bananas are fucking rank, so they're welcome to them. <laughs> I don't mind a banana, but I'm with you. But apparently, you can. The reason why he's so good. Get this right. Get this. Efficiency of humans, my fucking ass. Listen to this. <laughs> Magawa can search an area as big as a tennis court in thirty minutes looking for mines, whereas Jesus. it would take up to four days for a human with a metal detector to cover the same area. Four days Honestly. with a metal detector to do a tennis I mean, court without wishing to. You know, critique the incredibly brave work that bomb disposal people do. I mean, it seems like you're. It's not the most high energy work, there, is it? You know. I mean, I'm sure I mean, you've got to be. Okay, careful. you've got to be careful. You've got to be yeah. careful, but there's but probably less of a concern for the four bomb days rat. to cover a tennis court. <laughs> Apparently, Somebody's taking the piss. This reminds me of when our Keith were down the pit, and mm. there was a. There was a job that involved basically tubs would come in full of coal through one door and you had to push them out the other door. And basically it was a three-man job, according to the union. But actually (laughs) what would actually happen was that two fellas would sleep while one bloke did it and then they'd rotate sleeping on the night shift because it was a one-man job. But of course, if anybody brought that up, that would never be fucking tolerated. <laughs> Absolutely, and, yeah. Uh, yeah, and, and there'd be hell on about safety and everything. <laughs> but actually, so I get the feeling there's some kind of, you know, National Union of Mine Work, National Union of Bomb Disposers action happening here. Going, oh, no, I'm sorry, what he's detecting mines, he can't walk more than seven paces in two hours. Anything more is a problem, and he'll need piecework. <laughs> He'll want overtime for that as well. Yeah, he wants shift um, allowance. He want working above forty feet rates. All of it. I'm I'm reading more about this tuberculosis and hero rats thing, right? Right. So they've trained the rats to detect tuberculosis by sniffing, like spit samples or sputum samples. You can't deny it's a glamorous life for a rat. <laughs> it fucking really is. But the rats can test many more samples in a day than. Tradition, like human scientific methods can. So a scientific test can test between 30 to 40 samples of sputum in a day for tuberculosis. Hero rats can test hundreds because they're just sniffing it. So why or why are these bastards in Cambridge investing all this time on testing and stuff? Just test when some you fucking could, rats, You could guys. just get a fucking couple of crates of rats. and get. You know why? <laughs> it's once again the, ran, the rampant English class system. At play. It is because they won't tolerate rats. It's and also it's it's the you know it's big pharma 
Big Pharma doesn't want rats. <laughs> Literally eating their profits. <laughs> or, or sniffing and licking at their profits. So Magawa, honestly, the video of him getting his little medal is a glorious yeah. thing. They made him a tiny little medal. It's adorable. It's beautiful. And I'm sure he'll go about his work again. But I'm assuming he is just simply the lightning rod of all the rats out there disposing of bombs. And I, and I suppose, genuinely, we laugh, but genuinely, I had no fucking idea this happened. And, no, and it's remarkable. It it's is genuinely genuine, life-saving shit, this. So. Yeah. I did notice, you know, when Princess Diana was walking around them fucking landmines, nobody handed her a rat, did they? <laughs> so there you, Diana. Hold this. This is a real yeah. fucking hero here's your bullet, got. Here's your, here's your bulletproof vest and your fucking face <laughs> shield, and here's the horned rat on the other... Pouched rat on the lead. Yes, you do need the rat. No, we haven't got time to explain. Just please start walking. <laughs> oh, uh, however, because I searched bomb rat yeah. to, to get to a link about this. As, um, as you do. As you do. It, it made me realise that this is a much better military use of rats than the previous attempt. Oh, boy. Which was the explosive rat, also yeah. known as the rat bomb. Read about this? Oh, yeah. It's fucking horrible. So listen to this, ladies and gentlemen. It's a weapon developed by the British Special Operations Executive. I mean, Special Operations Executive came up with this. Listen to this. In World War II, for use, use against Germany, rat carcasses were filled with plastic explosives and were to be distributed near German boiler rooms where it was expected they would dis- be disposed of by burning with a subsequent explosion having a chance to cause a boiler explosion. The explosive rats never saw use as the first shipment was intercepted by Germans. <laughs> what do they think they'd found? I just... Yeah, I mean, what do you do? I mean, at what point do you realise that they're full of Semtex Bombs. or whatever? Probably bring yeah. the rat in to sniff it out. But yeah. <laughs> However, they say, the resulting search for more booby-trapped rats consumed enough German resources for the SOE to include conclude the operation was a success. Can you imagine that meeting? Can you imagine <laughs> That's that amazing. meeting? We fucked so, it. So, uh, but... Thompson, um, I believe that the rat strategy has been a terrible failure. Oh, no, 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 sir. I think you'll find it's consumed the enemy greatly, psychologically looking for rats that they think might be explosive. Uh, that is some weapons-grade bullshit. Can you Fair imagine? Play. Yeah. Imagine all the, the, the senior sort of project team <laughs> before they go, what the fuck are we going to say about this? This is a total fuck-up. Tell them that it's fucking made the Germans look for more exploding rats. They'll never fucking believe that. <laughs> Did you also hear about, like, I mean, I feel like we're going down a dark route <laughs> here, but the the bat bombs. No. Which were another experimental World War II weapon, the Americans this time, though. It was basically a bomb casing uh, with over a thousand compartments in it, each one con- containing a hibernating Mexican free-tailed bat with a small incendiary bomb attached. So they drop it out of a plane, this bomb, with a parachute on it, and then halfway down, it would open, and the theory was these hundreds of bats with tiny bombs attached to them would then... <laughs> basically, they were incendiary bombs, which were on timers, and then they would then ignite and start fires in, like, Japanese cities. I it's... mean, no wonder the fucking rats and bats have historically given us all disease. Because wouldn't yeah, you if you were treated abs- like this? Absolutely deserve it. Yeah. Um. Apparently, there was a... They were testing it, and errant bats from the experimental bat bomb then set fire to the Carlsbad Army Air Field Auxiliary Base in New Mexico. So, I mean, it kind of worked. 
but also didn't. And I'm quite glad it didn't, to be honest with you. Friendly bat fire. <laughs> Leave bats alone. Leave so, rats alone. British Animal of the Week, there you go, is Magoa, the life-saving bomb landmine rat, who clearly will salute bet- you. Clearly better off finding bombs than being a bomb. I think that's a lesson for us all. Yeah, 100%. We've got some correspondence, Josh, to go through. Oh, lovely. Now, let me tell you this. Adam Jones emails. Mm-hmm. What, the Adam Jones? I don't know, but if it is, I'd be really happy if it is, because it's a fucking crack. <laughs> either, either of them, either him from Tool or him, <laughs> him from Welsh Rugby. I'm fine with those. On the theme of military animals, Adam writes... However, I'd like to draw, and on the theme of militia animals that are not particularly successful, Adam writes, have you heard about the Soviet anti-tank dogs? No. Oh, God. Adam says, the Soviet, the Russians started training dogs to attack tanks. Seems like a shit idea straight off the bat. (laughs) Initially, the plan was for the dog to run up to the enemy tank and pull a cord with its mouth, which would release a mine attached in a little backpack that it had and then return to their handlers. The mine blows up. Tank is finished. Somewhat unsurprisingly, Adam says, this didn't work, and they abandoned the idea. Instead, they switched to unwitting suicide bomber dogs. Oh, my God. Explosives were attached to the dogs and detonated remotely, which is fucking rough, isn't it? However, <laughs> he says this encountered a few problems. Many dogs would be scared of the noise of moving tanks, and run yeah. back to their handlers where the explosions would detonate as the dog let back into the trench. Fucking hell. Most dogs would be shot before getting anywhere near a tank anyway, and perhaps the biggest problem was that the dogs were trained on Soviet diesel tanks, not German gasoline tanks, so the dogs would run often to Russian tanks as the smell of the engine fumes was familiar to them, <laughs> whereas the German tanks weren't. Here's the payoff from Adam. As a result, the Russians abandoned the anti-tank dog programme. I feel we should be quite balanced with this as well and look at the others because all we've talked about is animals I mean all animals really have no nationality do they they just do as they bid and we've only been talking about our animals I want to find out about these German war hawks yeah Yeah, that was all about it's like the darker side of the military animals (laughs) because it's important to learn you know but I mean, the Russians, man. This reminds me of the episode. I oh, know. If you haven't watched Chernobyl, spoiler alert, skip forward about 30 seconds. It reminds me of an oh. episode of that episode of Chernobyl where they have to keep shooting all the dogs, man. Oh, God. I genuinely. Oh, that, that is. That's a harrowing 10 minutes of telly. Speaking of hard work, mm. shall we go to the news now? Yes. Yes, we probably Because we are making fucking hard work of this rugby podcast. So. Yeah, we are. At AIB, we don't make technology for you to bank. We make it for you to live. Just watch. So you can apply and get a loan through your AIB app or online. This out like it ain't no thing. All from the comfort of home. Banking to fit the way you live. AIB, we back doing. Lender criteria, terms and conditions apply. Over 18s only, subject to approval. Security may be required. Allied Irish Banks PLC is regulated by the Central Bank of Ireland. ACAST recommends... Podcasts we love. Changemakers is a new podcast series with me, Claire McKenna. 
talking to people who stand up, speak out or challenge us to think a little differently. It's about the greater good, families and children, respecting their own individuality. In the next couple of years, like I hope I never have to have conversations about racism ever again. Like, I just want to get to the stage where, you know, people are just people. Nobody's pooling the resources together and actually being able to show how much of an impact it will make when people do come together. Changemakers with Claire McKenna. Search for it now wherever you get your podcasts. Acast is home to the world's best podcasts, including the David McWilliams podcast, I'm Grandmam, and the one you're listening to right now. Um, first bit of news to me, uh, like Father Christmas, uh, Leonie Nakawara ain't going to be doing any work before December. Do we know um, why? Uh well, thanks to like COVID, obviously he's been in, in Fiji for ages. Um, now he is in Scotland, but obviously he's not in brilliant shape as he's not trained for about six months. Uh, he's just had his first kid, and apparently there's been a family bereavement as well. So Glasgow have basically just gone. You know what? <laughs> you you can crack on, mate. We'll see you in December, which is very nice of Glasgow, I suppose, but um, probably quite frustrating for Glasgow fans who are keen to see him back on the field especially given that you know they haven't got any greys to to deal with anymore uh but yeah i uh, a nice little christmas present for glasgow fans will be the return of the all-conquering leone rakawara isn't there um it doesn't he have history of not returning well or that not? is why he got sacked by racing wasn't it that he he took a holiday that lasted a bit too long um, but I think in this case it was primarily COVID-related that he was stuck in Fiji, or at least that's what he said. I don't know. I, I choose to believe him. But he's he big nice. isn't he? He does what he wants. Yeah. You play when you want, you do what you want. Don't worry about it. i tell you who could have done with Big Nax on the weekend. Who's that? It's Racing 92. They could really. They could have done with anything that resembled something that plays rugby in a functional manner. <laughs> How the fuck did we'll they win that, that game? We'll get into that, but we'll get on to that. Hmm. Um, in other news, the RPA wants the government to pay for rugby, at least for a little bit. I mean, there is no sport except for maybe polo that is better set up to appeal to, respond to, the, to an appeal to, to the, to the, a conservative a conservative government than rugby football union. Can you explain um, why there's only been money being given to rugby football and polo? <laughs> And why they've given they've taken all the grounds off the rugby league people and given them to union again. <laughs> <laughs> That's what this is all about. Oh my god! Oh my god! This the latest conspiracy. Coronavirus has been created so that they can they can rob the assets of rugby league because somebody wants that eighteen quid plus a crap sponsorship. Uh... Yeah, somebody wants the totally wicked stadium or whatever. <laughs> the the Menderhose Jungle. What's that one that's like a vape stadium? It's like I lose track of. I mean, they're, they're brokering so many terrible sponsorship <laughs> deals to do in rugby league. I lose Listen, track. I, I, I'm going to have to look up which. Of I mean, the most of them are just built by the council now. Everyone's accepted it has to be a council-built stadium these days. This is one of the stadiums that was like vape liquid. <laughs> vape hot. I, I can't remember. I'm going to have to look for it. Uh, here we go. Stadium, stadium, stadium. Ah, see, maybe they've changed. Maybe they ran out of. Sponsorship deals, but that's, oh, that's so. Why are you looking at that? So here we go. The, yeah, the RPA. I'll be the basis is saying that if you're not going to have crowds for six months, then you haven't got a fucking chance, have you? At least football can just maybe repackage its um, broadcasting deal, can't it? 
probably quite well, quickly thinking, football, in the face football of the makes, force majeure, you know. Football makes so much money off everything that certainly at the top level, it's all right. But, yeah, rugby is, is absolutely fucking not in that I mean, position, you don't want it? to be the doom-mongering people. Well, well, we do, obviously. But the, but we've been, we have been saying for quite a time that the model is knackered. It's fucked. And yeah. just just crossing your fingers and going, something will turn up. Wasn't really <laughs> the way forward to plan an international sport, was it? And CVC have obviously no. decided they're going to do something with it. But I just, you know... No large companies, in many ways, can survive any kind. Nobody carries enough profit and you know no, capital in no. the bank to survive this kind of stuff, does it? But rugby, in particular, the income was never going to be able to sustain the way the wages had gone, and unless people sort no. of kind of grow up about it, and there could be a very realistic possibility that rugby becomes well, that rugby union becomes something a bit like more like rugby league, really, a smaller yeah, offering and I think financially. It's definitely going to be really instructive as to what the hell will happen to the sport of rugby union in the next two or three years because everyone's fucked. You know, let's not beat around the bush. Like, it is really fucked. I mean, the championship was of, having all its money. To, they were going basically. They were going amateur. anyway. Yeah. Well, this is the, the English rugby was in obviously England, yeah. facing huge problems before all this. You know, they were looking at losing, you know, and now they're looking at losing something in the region of 300 million, which, you know, if if we if this carries on for a couple of years, which is, you know, they, the sport cannot absorb that and will never absorb that. And I just, and obviously the game in Wales is no less fucked, you know, the Clubs are all, you know, 30 clubs are apparently on the bridge, the brink of going under despite having all of their funding because of the ring fencing of it. But, you know, they aren't getting anyone through the turnstiles every, any week or in the bars any week. And it shows how fucking precarious all this has been for so long. And if you think about scary, it, I mean, what, have you war game it for a minute that effectively loads of money goes out and everyone's got to kind of trim themselves accordingly? Yeah. You might have semi-professional squads or squads that are paid... A, I think the top level will maybe have squads paid a lot less because the market can only afford how much money's in it. Yeah. And, and, and I think, it's interesting to think, well, what will the impact actually be? Because, you know, it's not like you're going to go, well, I can go and work somewhere else. It's not like you... Nobody, they're all still going to want to be rugby players, aren't they? And they can earn a living. Well, that is the question, player. I suppose, is that there's there's a lot of players that, you know will be able to be nothing but rugby players and fair enough but what it does do is is it it creates you know if there's the option of playing semi-professional football and probably earning more than you would playing semi-professional rugby or even professional rugby you're going to lose a lot of you know that's part of the reason why people are kicking off in wales about how they're not allowed to go back to training because they're deathly afraid of losing all these kids to to soccer and cricket and other other sports but you know in the long term if rugby is is putting out you know (laughs) who's to say that you know players won't start going north again the players won't go to the southern hemisphere that everyone won't go to japan you know it's it's it creates a real dilemma vis-a-vis but it's the the same everywhere though isn't it it is but it feels like 
play. I think players will follow the money initially. But there's because the a... money's ripped out of everything. I don't know how. Mm, but it's case I, of... I don't know. It's hard. To, I'm not a fucking economist, am I? But the top, can... the top fourteen's there got a big old correction. broadcast contract. I think there will have to be a correction at some point. There's going to be a correction, isn't there? And, and I suppose yeah. if, if the if the top fourteen corrects down and so does rugby here, I'm not saying that, I don't think there will be semi-pro. There's going to be on less left money. You'll still have that differential now, but people stay for different reasons: the England jersey, mm. Wales, you know, all that kind of stuff. Yeah. Because people don't leave now for money. You can leave now for more money, but loads of people don't do it because they want to play international rugby, don't they? Yeah, and I guess that is the... uh, But Will people still be that bothered about international rugby if they're just playing in fucking empty stadiums like they are for their clubs and like they are for every other situation? Is the reality going to be that players are going to want to go and play where there are crowds? But I think... No, but... Crowds will come back, won't they? Yeah, I'm talking about long term. Oh, long term, yeah, yeah. You know, in the next six to twelve months, that's a different thing altogether. You'll have to. The government can support it it through, but I think that will there be a realistic opportunity here for people to just go right? These, this, you know, we can't do this anymore. Rugby has been fucking signing, quite literally signing checks that they cannot cash for you know years now. You know, arguably since the dawn of professionalism. But certainly in the last five to ten years, you know, salaries in rugby have exploded, you know, primarily as a result of top 14 in the premiership kind of going toe-to-toe to try and bring in foreign imports. And it's it was never sustainable. It was always going to go this way eventually. It's just the coronavirus, like everything else, has dramatically accelerated that process to the point where hard choices are having to be made. And players are already taking 25% less than they were a year ago. Yeah, and I'm not advocating. I don't think I don't think no, we should, should, should lose money. It's, it's just that no. I think that ultimately, like you say, it was going to happen anyway. It's interesting because um, some guy who worked at the Rugby Football League in the mid-90s posted on Twitter recently. I don't know how true it is. I don't see why I would lie. But he, he said... He wrote to the chair of the R- RFU in 1996 mm. and said, "Just so you know, you know, just let you know, just to remind you, I'll let you know. You know, obviously we've run a minority sport on a professional basis for a hundred years. So anything, you know, if you want to, if you want to have a chat about anything, we're here. Never heard from anybody, obviously, because they thought yeah. they could do. It. And understandably, they're all bright people and think they could do it themselves. But I do think there is something about when you look at it, has the last." 25 years since professionalism which is a very short amount of time been a lot of hubristic decisions big style and how many clubs have we lost along the way you know richmond london welsh you know the south wales warriors borders Mm. you know rugby has thrown a lot of its history (laughs) one way you know to the wayside in sort of chasing the big money dream and chasing the sort of whims of very rich men that want to bankroll rugby teams and you know maybe that the reality that i think that a lot particularly in english rugby there's a real reluctance in the same way that there was in wales and understandably so to move away from what they have now you know they mm. still want leicester and bath and bristol and harlequins and wasps and You've got to ask yourself: Is that is there enough? Are there enough people interested in rugby in England to sustain a twelve-team professional Premiership financially? And if there was, the wage bill probably has to come down by about fifth by half. Yeah, 
to make it sustainable. Yeah. Because at some and point, BT are going to go, we're not paying this much anymore. Yeah. Not enough people CVC. watch. And, and we're not enough. Only, yeah. And nowhere near, you know, CVC understand that the internationals is, you know, basically all of their investment in the Pro 14 and the Premiership is a tag on to their international ambitions because they know full well that the thing that you can sell is international rugby. And almost, you know, they want to sell the Pro 14 and the Premiership and the Heineken and the yeah. European rugby as a fucking, as, you know, make weights, basically. It's as, a loss look, leader. Yeah, the tins of beans at 10p yeah, to get you in the shop. You can have all of this rugby to fill your schedule up and you'll also get this stuff that, re, you know, the, the really important stuff that you really want. The global market stuff. And that's where rugby yeah. league is different to rugby league, to use that example. Yeah. Club, I'm, not, I'm not so sure... Club, rug, club rugby union is that different? It is. It's bigger. Nope. I'm not saying it's, but I, in terms of a ballpark, you know, in no, terms I, of I, well, the bracket. Look at the the people that you know the the sort of size of crowds that they get in rugby league is not a million miles away from the size of crowds that they get in the Premiership. You know, yeah. and I think the viewing audience who wants to watch it isn't that different. There's no, no. I don't think there's any kind of big national picture of people wanting to watch Worcester versus. Bristol, no. there isn't. No, not enough. And there is, but not enough. Yeah. It's not like football. You know, I I know plenty of people who like rugby in an international sense, and who literally wouldn't even bother turning the TV on for the Heineken Cup. Or if they did, they turn you know? it over. If they turn it, it was on. Yeah. What's this? Oh, okay. Uh, don't care. What's it on Netflix like, instead? This it's it's a it, it, rugby needs to have a realization with itself that we are outside of the international. You know, the international sphere, rugby is a big fucking deal and we should all be very relieved that that is the case because it's the thing that, <laughs> that might actually enable the sport in the same way that test cricket is popular enough mm. on television that it can basically pay for all of the county stuff that nobody really cares about you only know, in this country though not many people in India want to watch test cricket but anyway no, but, the, then, yeah. but, but I think but, that it, it's and so what though isn't it I mean the, the question mm. is does this mean the end of the sport as we know it? And I'm not so sure it does because I think no. If you let's say you're on 150 grand a year as a rugby player, if somebody says, "Well, you can have 75 grand a year to do it because we can't afford anything else," people are going to go, "Okay, yeah." Because if the alternative is working as a project manager somewhere for 32 grand a year, no. You know, the, on the flip, but you're going to flip. You have to flip side that with the physical toll. And that for me is going to be the. Make a big difference, though. I think people see, still I, want to do I, it. I think people will still want to do it, but I think that there will be a. Well, for every know, person particular... who says I don't, there'll be three that do. I'm not yeah, trying to be I, cruel. I, it's just a market. That, force no, that system. will always be that. That will always be the case. But what I do think is that rugby will be diminished by the fact that a lot of players will say, "No, nah, I don't fancy that." Particularly as this generation of players, I think that's overstated. I think this. I think as this generation of players starts retiring, the first generation that have really been fucked up by <laughs> physically by their sport, you know, I think that you know players aren't thick, and they're going to look at that and go, seventy-five grand a year to play rugby, or you know, thirty-five grand a year that I can play have for the rest of my life. A lot of players will go, yeah, I'll go for that for a few years. But are they going to be playing into their 30s? Or are they going to retire at 25 or 26 and go, I've had enough of this now. 
my body's fucked yeah. and I'm not getting paid enough. I'm not saying it's going to put people off, but I think that players' careers will be dramatically shorter because getting a real job will not dramatically alter their fucking... Does, not, does everybody not win there, though, either, of course? Because they don't I mean, get physically argu- knocked to shit. They move on with the yes. rest of their lives and somebody else will play the game instead. I don't know. But I think Huge amount of conjecture here, but yeah. The onus, the onus then will be on clubs to, to produce talent at a rate that they haven't in the past. Because whereas you would get a 10-year career out of somebody, you might only get a five-year. But... Who knows? Who knows? You know what the answer it, is, don't you? What the answer always is? Bomb rats. Yes, or <laughs> send in a Georgian. <laughs> yeah, this, and this is the other thing. You know, are, are our teams just going to be stuffed with players who still see 75 grand a year as life-changing money? You know? I, for one, will welcome a day when it's, yeah, when it's, when it's Juan Manuel Cat. And rhombies <laughs> and the likes of Gaminara, lovely. I mean, yeah, you've made a compelling point there. But yeah, I do. I don't think the game will change in the way that people think it's going to change. But I do think that there may become a bit of a. It'll accelerate the things that probably would have happened anyway. Anyway, right. Spent a long time on yeah. that. Linked to that, another news story is that uh, a British private equity firm called Novalpina, which sounds yeah. like some kind of antidepressant drug. It does. Um, Want to invest two hundred million euros in the Ligue Nationale rugby in France? Yeah, they've they've decided the French have decided they want a piece of this venture capital private equity cake. So, yeah, private I mean, equity that's the is other the thing side. for people now, like sleeve tattoos. It's just something <laughs> that everybody wants. <laughs> well, the reality is that you know now that city centre property is is no longer the guaranteed fucking investment win that it once was private equity companies have got to go looking for other but things that's what makes me gives me pause on my doom and gloom merging thing because it is like well there's a lot of money coming in from private equity and they know how to make money so is mm. it because they're either going to break it into pieces and flog it off again or yeah i guess that's the thing you know or, they, or they, lump they, it all together and make people do something new you know yeah I, know. I, th- I certainly think that's what cbc are going to do with british rugby and irish rugby is that I went but, to um, Novalpina's website to try and understand mm, who see if it gave me some doing. idea of what, what plans they've got and here's what this is how they approach investments so um, we make control orientated equity investments in European middle market businesses we focus on providing creative solutions which balance interests of all relevant stakeholders helping catalyze a successful transaction I don't know about you, Josh, but I'm fucking crystal clear now on what exactly this company does. I mean, I'm not saying that the financial world is silly, but... <laughs> I'm sure it makes I don't work sense. in the financial world. I haven't done for a while. Maybe that does make sense to somebody. But <laughs> I'm sure it does. It I just looks it like fucking word salad to me. So <laughs> Absolutely it does. It sounds like expensive word salad designed to part people from their money. Speaking, fair play to them. Speaking of uh, people being parted from their money and, and signing approaches, what's the next mm. bit of news? Uh, well, like any addict, the first step is admitting that you have a problem. And <laughs> Steve Diamond has finally admitted that he has to wean himself off signing a South African every five minutes. 
um, which is is great news. I'm glad he's accepted that he's he's a moment of clarity. <laughs> he's had a moment of clarity. Oh <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, I mean, his thought. He's basically said, "I can't keep signing South like I can't go to South Africa and sign ten players every year." To which every you know, I'm sure everybody else in the club was like, "Really." Because it's I love, you I love seem the way like he says can. that, like he's under duress. You know, you can't yeah. expect me to do this every year. It's like it's your fucking club, and you sign them all. It's, it's not just you're the coach. It's like you're the everything in that club. You've be, you've made every decision about signing all of the you know fifteen South Africans. Um, but yeah, he, well, he used to sign Russians all the time, but he's he obviously did. given up on that. So now, that's because that's because Russians aren't very good. <laughs> Whereas the South Africans are fucking fine. Uh, so yeah, his whole thing is basically that um, they have to start doing their academy a bit better, and they have to, you know, the curries have to be, you know, the first in a wave. Basically, what he's doing is he's looked at the Saracens model, right, which was sign a load of South Africans, get, you know, become relevant. Spend loads of money on your academy, yeah, and I then by the time that. those South Africans have retired or are moving on, you'll have some really good players ready you to come through. Need to employ Brendan Venter to sack the entire present <laughs> squad and get a lot of South Africans in. Well, but the thing he's done it more more dimesy though, isn't he, and more balls out? Because whereas Saracens sort of signed John Schmidt after his kind of you know, mm. after his glory days and they signed Brad Barrett and they signed, you know, they yeah. signed a lot of players on oh, the downward curve. there was loads of like middling good squad players yeah, that yeah. came in. Whereas, you know, obviously Dimes has just gone, how many current Springboks in the prime of their career can I fucking convince to come to Manchester? Which <laughs> is... His rumours, is, I mean, I can't keep doing this because the exchange rate on the Rand will never stay this <laughs> shit for ages. Especially after Brexit, we'll be fucked. So basically... <laughs> You know, you know, we can't always go out and buy eight, nine South Africans like we have done. I think it's serving a purpose and will serve us well over the next three to four years. But at the end of that period, it'll be one or two people being brought in from abroad, and hopefully, you create your own production line. And then, well, why do you say this like this is a revolutionary idea? Clubs <laughs> need speak- to develop talent. Thank you. Because he's speaking, he's speaking in an interview with club sponsors Mawson Group, which, I mean. Rugby yeah. Union, like no other sport, is full of sponsors you've never heard of. I've got no fucking <laughs> idea what these people do. One of my fun things is that who are they though? It's like <laughs> having said that, the, I know. don't know. I, I I saw a picture of a Barcelona shirt today, and I was like, I, their sponsor is Rakuten or something. I've got no fucking idea who they are. Aren't they like uh, a sort of e-commerce thing, but it's big in like. Asia, I believe. Oh, Japanese electronic commerce and online retail company based in Tokyo. So, still not clear. Do you remember? Do you remember Play dot com? Yes. Where they used to get very, very briefly before it went bust. Play dot came dot com became. Weren't they like a kind of when Netflix used to just send you DVDs and you had to send them back? Wasn't that Play dot com? No, Play dot com was. They were like, here, have a DVD, and it's got everything's free delivery. That was their big thing. I think it was one of those ones that was based in based in the Channel Island. Yeah, it was. But before Amazon was sort of free market, and in every yeah, and they were they were based in Jersey, which obviously gave some. (laughs) 
Yes, recruiter.co.uk from 2011 until 2013. And then it went. Well, their sponsorship's done the done the fucking job as far as they're yeah, concerned with this podcast, hasn't so. it? Yeah. So, yes, yeah, so anyway, sorry, going back, that was no Valpina. I know we've yes. done that, sorry. We're on to Steve Diamond now. Yeah. Uh, Continue yeah, with so Mawson Steve's, Group. Yeah, Steve's going to stop selling South Africans in about three to four years, which is it's good to have a plan for recovery, nice I guess. Nice plan, that is nice of a yeah, plan. Yeah, yeah. Well, um, anything else news-wise? Uh, no, I think we. I mean, some players are injured. Some players are not injured. This Steve Diamond starting Van Rensburg on the wing this week. Just more of that later. Giggles. Yes, but yeah. Shall we talk about the weekend? The big, the yes. big European the big weekend. weekend. <laughs> rugby doesn't get bigger than this. <laughs> Rock and roll uh, rugby. <laughs> <laughs> that was me summing up all of BT's promos there. Yeah, it was a bit much, wasn't it? Um, I don't think I'll miss Saracens on level with you. I mean, nobody's going to fucking miss Saracens, are they? Well, I, I, I sort of put this on Twitter, and I had a lot of people telling me that I was chippy and Welsh, which is true, to be fair. I put on but... Twitter, um, well, the minute they lost the game, I put on Twitter, have a good time in this championship, lads. And I got about <laughs> 500 likes, and of course, a load of people slagging me off. But one, one of them said, one of them said, you're not even a championship podcast. Maybe you can comment when you produce something of a decent standard. <laughs> and it was like, whoa, hang on, mate. Let me tell you something, right? Every single sports team I support has at best been just below average. And those periods <laughs> lasted for a maximum of two years at a time. So let me tell you something. I am quite happy to exist at a level well below the championship. It almost defines who I am. So... <laughs> Uh, yeah, I mean, lots of people, like BT and a lot of journalists and all these sort of things were saying how much European rugby in the Premiership is going to miss the most unrepentant and shameless cheaters in the history of the professional game. And really I just don't no, get it. They have no finger on the mood, do they? Because, no. I mean, I know that we are not exactly a typical no, we rugby really offering. But I cast it around Twitter. Most people are really fucked off with them and are glad they're being punished. Yeah. And just look, it's not like we're losing... Bristol or Wasps, you know, it's not the, like the style of rugby that Saracens played was never less than attritional to the point where it was extremely hard to watch, especially in like they scored a lot of tries, but in the same way that like Jose Mourinho's teams always score a lot of goals, they do it in a, in a manner that is not attractive, it's just effective, which Exeter do as well, to yeah. be fair. But like the most impressive thing about Saracens was always well, they were easy to admire, not so easy to to, to like, weren't they? Yeah, I think is a... and I think, but the, the thing that was always very admirable about them was the way that they were just relentless and they kept winning and they kept going and they just had this reserve of like energy and will that just seemed to like propel them through games and, and a big squad know, that could. And I was going to say we've learned that that's primarily what happens when you have a massive squad full of world class players that you shouldn't legally be able to afford, and. You know, that was demonstrated over the 80 minutes on the weekend where ultimately they they huffed and puffed and they worked really hard, but they did not have that extra reserve to win the game like they would have had 12 months ago. And, you know, even last week they creaked, they creaked in the second half against Leinster until, you know, they got their second win in the last 20. But like Don Morris, no offence to the lad, had an opportunity to win the game. You know, when that that ball was kicked through and he was literally... Nobody in a blue and white shirt was within 20 fucking metres of the guy. I thought it was Alex Lewington. 
Oh, it's Alex Newton. One of the two. Anyway. Um, Morris played quite well, uh, But, like, a better, more confident player backs themselves there and kicks through and definitely scores a try. Yes. And But he fell on it and tried to recycle it because... He did and, that and thing that I, you, you do in training thousands of times and you hate where they make you pick the ball up. Yeah. When you're running. <laughs> And I, I, just, I feel really sorry for him anyway, because 95 times out of 100, he's picking that up. Yeah. And of course, if he was Bodie Barrett, he'd scoop it up with one hand as he, as he, he sauntered past yeah. it. But, and Bodie would but score. he obviously completely and, shat himself as he ran towards the ball. But if they'd still have Liam Williams, that's, that's a try. Right. Yeah, it is, yeah. yeah. And, you know, and, and that, for me, was like, you know, that's, that's the legacy of Saracens, is that, you know, they demonstrated that if you... If you have this, you know, level of squad depth, you can dominate, your, you know, domestically and in, on the European stage. If you haven't, it's hard. And yeah, you know, Saracens are, are still got loads of good players, and I'm sure they'll come back up and they'll still be a, a good team. But I don't think they'll be this sort of hushed tones team that they were for the last three or four years because they're not going to be able to be anymore. I think, I, they, miss him. I think they managed it all wrong in the second half, to be honest. I think Alex yeah, Gouge put it on Teddy Toma every time he got the fucking ball and made him run. Because one, he probably wouldn't have caught it. Or two, he just didn't have to run from there. It would have been a nightmare. Finn Russell would have done that thing where he just keeps shipping it sideways regardless of the situation that he's in. He um, was very bad for, you know, 89 and a half minutes of that, uh, 79 and a half yeah, minutes He had a of couple of moments. He put Toma into space, didn't he, when he in the 22 when he yeah, did that long so. pass and... A lot of stuff he does looks, you know, decent. I thought some of his... He didn't kick when he should have done, I don't think. And when he did kick, it wasn't great. He had that one where he... he, he God, he, he sliced it straight up into the air and it went about 10, five metres forward. There's something about... It's, it's it's such a problem. And I said on Twitter, you know, he's going through a repertoire of why he's not he's not trusted. And, and you get some people reasonably pulling you up on it, and that's fine. Hmm. But, um, I, you know, it's... What I mean is I think that the things that a lot of people think why he shouldn't be trusted are the same reasons why people think he should be. And I suppose yeah. the point I was trying to make is all those little things, and obviously people say, yeah, but you, if you focus too much on the little things he doesn't do right, you miss the magic, you know? But it's that too many of those little things that go on for a little bit too long in a game, like moving the ball sideways on shit ball when you pack that up in a good Yeah, time big style. And stuff like that. That's why he's not trusted, what I mean. But then again, they'll say, yeah, but you have to forget all that because then he does the moment of magic. But I come back to your point. Had Alex Lewington not fallen over, yeah, that moment of that magic would, wouldn't have made any difference. Made you know, it, difference, no. It would have still been an example of how a world-class 10 not being able to dictate how a game works for enough of the game yeah. is still a problem. And also, you know, okay, the chip was beautifully executed yeah. and a wonderful bit of... You know, and the fact he called it when he called it and all that, yeah. you know, it's to be admired. However, for the previous sort of five or six minutes before that, he'd literally spent every moment that he had the ball firing unbelievably flat, pointless <laughs> miss ones across the back line that literally how somebody in a black shirt didn't just scoop one of those up and run up the other end and score. Every time he threw it, it looked like it was going to get intercepted. And he just kept doing it and the fact kept it doing didn't it. Probably says something for his talent, but it wasn't really yeah. helping 
it, it, and this is the point. And the fact the Saris were fucking knackered by that point, and, and they Saris didn't have the energy to get. No, they were they were, just, they were fanned out. They weren't trying to go for the intercept. Now, of course, they won if, the game, so it's a joke to sit here and go, "You're what you're really questioning the winning tactics, are you?" It's like, but he tries that shit against Exeter. Oh, they're going to get abs- They are genuinely like there was very little tactical acumen displayed on that. You know. In any way, shape, or form. And okay, they won. Finlos- they won the game through individual quality. And it's not Finlay's much- fault. Everyone kept dropping no. the fucking ball. No, it's really not. No, that's not his but fault. But they're going to get absolutely battered by Exeter next week, or whenever it is in several weeks' time. Like, well, their pack's going to go backwards. And if he tries to not. do that twenty-meter fizzing pass, as, as lovely as it looks on the highlight reel, again, yeah, his old mate defense. Stuart Hogg is going to go fucking. 70 metres the other way with the ball in his hands. Yeah, he'll go for an exact on it, yeah. 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 And the thing is, yeah, in a way, I think that was a perfect example of of everything. I think two people can watch the same game with Finn Russell, and I don't even think that one side is wrong. They can watch the same game and go, that's why people won't pick him for the top game. And other people go, that's why he should be picked. And you're not really disagreeing with each other, apart from the fact that you are. Do you know what I mean? (laughs) What's that thing where everybody sees the thing that they want to see in it? It's like confirmation like, bias. Yeah, it's like he is like a prison. He's Schrodinger's you know. Finn Russell. <laughs> <laughs> He's both not up to it and up to it all at the same time. It does. He really reminds me of Carlos Spencer. That's the top and bottom of it. I know what you and mean. We all yeah. fucking loved Carlos Spencer. Yeah. But there's a reason why he wasn't the leading ten for the All Blacks yeah, for fifteen for years. Long, yeah. which he, you know, talent wise, he should have been. Absolutely, one of the most talented rugby players ever, and you know, like Carlos, like Finn Russell, will have an amazing highlights reel when his career. And finishes. people will love him. I think and he'll be remembered better yeah. when he's finished than maybe he is now. I completely and obviously, agree. Love him. Uh, Cammy Black from the Scottish Rugby Pod, who we were talking to away from the podcast, and he may be saying this in his own pod, but he's he makes a really good point. Finn Russell plays best when he's happy. Yeah. And I think Racing just pick him and say, get on with it. And that's why he, he kind of does that. But then he look, I don't think anybody says to him, stop doing that, please. No. Don't do that bit. And I think that it's a test level. You cannot just say, just go out there and do what you want. Because, you know, test level defence is another level of intensity, even to sort of. And I think Champions it was obviously Cup a personal stages. issue going on. Obviously, yeah, level, yeah. To be fair, I think, I think you, you have to be able to. Playing. You have to, you know, you have to be able to rein it in a little bit at test level, and I don't think he. As he, I just think it. It's. I'm not saying that he's in the wrong or Townsend in the wrong or anybody's in the wrong with it, but I just think he doesn't like it when he feels like his creativity and his ability to try shit is limited, because that's the thing that he enjoys and that's the thing that he feels is effective. And yet, at the flip side, you know, coaches feel like. Bloody hell, mate, you've got to rein this in a little bit. If you've not kicked well and shipped it sideways off shit ball for 65 minutes against a really good team, you're going to be losing by too many points than what your mercurial streak can make up. I think that's the top and bottom of it for me, really. And I'm not saying it's impossible. And I think the frustrating thing is it's entirely possible with his talent to be better at that stuff. Yeah, and just make some. And the thing is, he's he's got all the talent in the world and all the gifts in the world. You know, he's. For all the talk that people think, you know, claim that he is, you know, not in the best shape that he should be in, and he's not, you know, he demonstrated in that game that he's physically got all the tools to be 
a very, very, very successful player in this game. You know, he's a big lad. He can tackle. He's quick. He's got lovely soft hands. He can kick out a hand beautifully. He has got absolutely every single tool that you would need to be a world-class 10. And, and he's 28 of, now. He's probably two yeah. years away from his absolute prime. Because I think a 10 yeah. between 28 and 32 is when they should absolutely Agreed. be flying if they've not been injured and stuff like that. So we'll see what happens. We'll see what happens. I mean, he won the fucking game at the end of the day. There's only so much you can have yeah. a pop at a guy. And he that, absolutely, but. you know, Exeter might, you know, in Bristol in a couple of weeks' time, Exeter might not turn up or... Rassian might turn up and be a totally different team than they were on this weekend. That game and was appalling, by the way. I stopped unbelievably building my, shit. I, I took a break from log store work to watch that game, and I was yeah, fucking fuming about it. Yeah, indeed. <laughs> Speaking of that, then the other game. Yeah, uh, Rob Baxter, best coach in the world at exploiting the grey areas of the game. Like no team is better at living on the edge and playing right on the margins of legality and exploiting every like it, you cannot help but take your hat off to him hmm. like everything that that team does like there's no team more inevitable in the 22 right we all know this but like a large part of that is down to the way that they just you know exploit all of the rules regarding latching regarding sort of all of the you know Behind, being behind the back foot of the ruck and all this sort of stuff, he knows he knows that refs don't give a fuck about these things, yeah. and, and that so he takes plus the their quality is a because yeah, you know, we don't understand that we're just saying because you cheat you win. That's not the case at all. No, or you live well, on the edge. Game, yeah. Rugby is a game that lives in the grey areas. You know that's the game. Taylor's oldest time is you know it's what you can get away with, and it's why and, we love it. Yeah, it pisses and us off when it's something we don't want to win. Who does it? It's, yeah, it's, it's not it's a magic, critique. Really. It's yeah. it's absolutely it's why he is such a world class coach. There is no coach better at exploiting those loopholes and exploiting the little, you know, the the grey areas in the rules. And that he's just and you look and he creates like a fucking juggernaut, doesn't he? He's created yeah, a juggernaut. They're they're unstoppable. Like extra, are a lot more of a star studded team than they used to be, right? Like, in the last three or four years, they've made a lot of big signings, a lot of big-name signings, Stuart Hogg obviously being the biggest one. But, you know, don't forget about Alex Cuthbert, who was a fucking lion when they signed him. You know, don't forget about, the you know, Richie Gray, who's a fucking world-class player. They've signed some very big players, but the core of that team remains that homegrown sort of academy group mm. that have been together for ages and that sort of collect, they've got that collective intelligence in the way that, because you can see, like, the way that Rob Baxter thinks about the game and the way that he was, you know, he said that he doesn't care about his team getting behind early and he doesn't care about, like, the opposition coming out of the traps and sort of scoring a couple of tries. As long as the scoreboard isn't out of reach, he absolutely sees it as an 80-minute game and he has absolute faith and conviction in his methods. And that gives his that team kind want. of psychological safety yeah. as well, because they don't and panic, that, do they? They just go, no, it's going to come right, the and boss has told they it do is, not, They do not panic, and they're all, like, they've got that collective intelligence where they don't panic, and they do, and as soon as they get into the 22, they all just click, and it's fucking remarkable to see, because so few teams like, are that well drilled, you know? Like, there's always, there's usually someone who's not on the same page 
or thinks that they're doing something slightly different or wants to do something slightly different. But as soon as Exeter get into the 22, every from 1 to 15, everybody knows what the plan is. And, and it's always the like same that. plan. Always, and I'm always, Yeah, and I'm always surprised by how many rugby union teams, especially in the new rook law, where the ball comes out so quickly now, mm. and you can pretty much guarantee what's going to happen depending on where you, you are in the field. If you've got your rook set up properly, how many of them don't take a kind of set of six rugby league type approach a bit more? And that's what Exeter yeah. seem to do. Everyone, because in rugby league, you're trained. It's, like, it's a bit like um, NFL. Mm. everybody has very specific places to stand and everybody runs at a very specific time and it's all done and you know what's happening in three in three tackles time because yeah. when we get possession here we do this on tackle one that on tackle two that on tackle three then that happens on four and on five we kick it away now I'm not saying that you should be as rigid as that but Exeter seems to have that mentality, particularly got in the opposition. In they've half. got a script in the. They've got yeah. a script in the twenty-two, definitely. In the same way that sort of NFL teams will have a, like, they'll be flexible. But the first twenty or thirty plays of a game, usually offensively, have been worked out in the week, mm. and they'll just do them. And it feels it genuinely feels it's like a next evolution of calling the play, like a ten does in rugby anyway. And calling the backs move or whatever, like they don't even need to call the backs move because it's yeah. all it's all in there. Because in league, you genuinely you genuinely know that until tackle three, your the rugby league equivalent of a ten isn't getting the ball. Yeah. So everyone knows where to stand, and everyone knows, and so the back line can get lined up correctly because you think I've got at least two more sets before I'm getting the ball. Now again, it's you can't all be replicated. And I know, you know, there's a lot of the pod stuff that's come from rugby league and some of the patterns have as well and the kind of two waves of attack. I just think there's... I'm amazed how many teams don't do it more and Exeter have really cracked it, exactly like you're saying. Everyone knows the job and it's almost like they know where they're going to stand and when it's their turn to run. Mm-hmm. And, and, it's, and, it's, and the interesting thing is it doesn't seem to be... Like, the traditional sort of mindset is that, oh, the 10 decides what to do. Mm when you get in the 22 and when you're on attack. But it genuinely feels like Luke Karen Dickey's kind of seems to be setting, like, when they get in the 22, how many times do you notice that guy's the first fucking guy up having, who takes the first carry or makes the first sort of burst through? And it's like, it's so heavily scripted and it's so heavily drilled. But he kind of, like... They've, he puts his trust in this pack that obviously, you know, so many of those players are extra born and bred. Like, they know that system and they they trust him so implicitly that they put a huge amount, they, they put a lot of authority on that tight five forwards to basically dictate the play in the 22 until, as you say, the third or fourth carry. And then maybe it'll go out to the 10, but it probably won't because <laughs> they'll probably be fucking steaming through. And, and nobody likes of, to watch it, really. Exeter no, fans it's, it's, do, probably. It's, but. it's boring as fuck to watch, but it's so effective. As I say, it's, it's, you can do nothing but admire it. No, because, absolutely. Because it wins the matches. And it's not the sort of thing that, like, it's, it's, it's different to, like, upskilling forwards in a sort of Bristol sense hmm. or a Scarlet sense, say, where... The forwards are throwing offloads left and right, and the forwards are expected to sort of you know think like backs. Exeter's forwards think like forwards. 
but but they think like but they think like forwards in a very kind of it's almost like head up way the spirit of Leicester kind of floated out of the ground and got blown down to the southwest, didn't it? You know it really what I mean? It really is, isn't it? Yeah. You got it like Leicester 10, 15 years Jeff ago. Jeff Parling you're... took it with him. <laughs> yes, that was, it was in his beard. In 2010. <laughs> He'd sucked yeah. it into his magical beard and went down there with it. <laughs> <laughs> and now he's, oh no, now he's taking it to fucking Australia, to hasn't he? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but you no, know, it's, it's very much like, it has that vibe. But even more so than I remember Leicester being, you know, it's mm. like, it's, it's, it's not that they're playing a different game to everybody else, no, but it does not. feel a bit like that. Well, in they're the playing 22. really a classic rugby game. Yeah, they're playing. They're picking and driving, at with just remarkable efficiency, and nothing, yeah, nothing showed the difference between the two sides. Give most of the tries that Exeter scored, and the try that. Toulouse at the beginning. <laughs> Toulouse were like yeah. Toulouse. Uh, that game was kind of like if you were watching like Britain's Got Talent and a really cute little dance troupe came on and did mm-hmm. this dance that was kind of adorable and but yet technical and really <laughs> fabulous. You're like, oh, that's amazing, like diversity or something. And then somebody just came along in a massive fucking four by four and ran over them <laughs> while they were taking the taking the applause or something. Yeah, it's it's. They're just, yeah, like they are the new, you know. Let's not beat around the bush. They're the new Saracens. They're the new team that everybody has to. I think to it's respect. been fascinating seeing it coming because we've it, said this. I mean, I yeah. think a lot of people. I'm not saying we've got fucking. We, no, we're not cornered wisdom here. I think that much is very clear about us. But we have been saying for a while that they'll get into it because you see it, don't you? And it is amazing how it keeps repeating itself. You get into Europe, you have a shit first couple of seasons. You learn, and you find you your level. More, yeah, you you develop, you you get some coaches in, and it's t- and it's taken them a while. You know, they they've been, you know, this is what their seventh or eighth season at the in the Champions Cup mm. now, slash Heineken Cup, mm. and this is the first year that it's come together. And you know, they did have to go and sign a couple of lions. You know, to to kind yeah. of take. You know, it's Stuart Hogg is making such a big difference Huge. to that team. Yeah. Like great signing. A, they, a they've made him better because he's not quite he's not as flaky on defence as he used to be. But the he support bigger, line, bigger to you. Yeah, he's, he's bulked up big style, in and he looks as quick as he's ever been, but big, and he just he provides that X factor. Without you know, when they had Cordero, it was like oh well, he can provide the X factor, but he is also. <laughs> He's also Cordero when he's I was untrainable. Him. He's like a cat. Yeah, exactly. He's, 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 whereas Hogg is just like, yes, I I will provide you with that sprinkling of X factor, but I'm also like six foot two and seventeen stone, and I will fucking smash someone if I have yeah. to. And and you know, Gray Rory Kinsella and, did a great piece on his running lines. Did you see that in on Twitter? No, really I didn't. Good. How he basically like Chris Ashton, he runs from like wide out on the thirteen channel. Yeah, his support lines, and are he's so like, good. and he's twenty meters ahead of the ball as he's running because he just knows when the pop's coming. Because that's why so much. That's I mean, it's, again, I come back to that point. It's amazing how many people haven't worked this out. Why is it that people like him doing it and Ashton doing it is so remarkable? It's almost like it you, tra- be, you trained it? for so long, as even from being a kid, that you are you must be behind the ball, even if yeah. you're fourteen passes away from the ball. Well, actually, the truth is not that at all, which is no. interesting. Anyway. 
But yeah, you know, you look at like, you know, Sam Skinner and, and Dave Dennis and Johnny Gray coming in as well, you know, it's like that's, and Jack Vermeulen as well, like that's sort of elevating what they've already got, which is already really fucking good. Mm. And it's just, yeah, you've got to, you've got to take your hat off to them, man. They are the best team in Europe. Interesting to see what um, happens with Toulouse now, because talking about Exeter's evolution, Toulouse are obviously mm. going through, they're probably five years behind Exeter. I'd say so, yeah. Toulouse, I think, are still too heavily reliant on yeah. elderly yeah. ex-All Blacks. Yeah. And, <laughs> you know, they, they've got the backs for it. They need a pack that is a bit more Exeter-y, I think. Their pack is very five years ago. In that they the, the pack would be amazing yeah. five years ago. I, I don't question the effort of people like Kano and stuff. Of course, I don't. Oh fuck! But there no. is something He's still else a brilliant about, player. about building people from your town. Yeah, and, and I'm not one of those some... people who says you should only have people from your town. I don't mean that, but I, I think extra is showing that there is something in that, and, and certainly within the system. And that said, though, I, I the pluck the narrative that engine that extra somehow this plucky engine that could. <laughs> has got to stop now, seriously. Like, they're, you know, it's taken them 20 years of very, very, you know, concerted building from being where they were in, in 98 or whatever in the fourth tier. You know, it's an unreal achievement and one of the most impressive examples of why promotion and relegation can sometimes create something impressive. But come on, the notion that this isn't, you know, heavily monetized as well, like everything else, like... I made a comment, a pithy comment about it on Twitter, and I got a lot of people taking issue with the fact that I said that it was also about money. But guys, it is about money. Like, this is professional fucking sport. It's the way that people object to it being about money when it's a professional sport. Yeah, it's, it's like, you if, don't if, go- if a little place like Exeter has managed to find a way to get a load of money invested to create this... That's a good Fair thing. Fair play to them. Fair play to them. But don't pretend that it's somehow this, you know, you're not going from the fourth tier of English rugby to the Champions Cup final without ploughing millions on, upon all on, millions. All on heart and moxie. Yeah, on a tiny, on a, on a, you know, fair, with the greatest respect to Exeter, a fucking nowhere little town in the southwest. Like, hmm. okay, it's a big town by Devon standards, but like... It's not a big city. It hasn't got a big population. It's got all of Devon and Cornwall as a catchment area, don't get me wrong. But, like, there's nothing sort of... This would not have happened without Tony Rowe, his mates, and their money. And that's what don't, makes like, me interesting about the lack of relegate. So, you know, Exeter demonstrate that you know promotion should never be gone. But actually, if you had a franchise system... Mm. that was opened every three years. Do you really think if Exeter came along with that ground, those backers, and put a 10-year business plan down, they wouldn't go, yeah, you're in? 100%. And that's the thing. It's like, it's not like... People talk about it as sort of like, oh, you know, the romance of they've come all the way up from the fourth tier. It's like, how many people who are still involved in the club when they were in the fourth tier are there now? It's Tony Rowe, the board, and Rob Baxter. Yeah, and, and again, it is it is a fantastic achievement. It is, That's you know, it really it is. is. It, it doesn't diminish Exeter's achievement by going. Yeah, you're now like a fucking. You're part of the big leagues now. I think like people they, assume that when you say that, that money's been involved, you're saying that nothing else is involved. No, not what no, I'm saying. Just that. 
you don't have you can have all the cash in the world and spunk it up like look how much money Bath and Gloucester have spunked up the wall in the last ten years <laughs> or to don't. try and win stuff. <laughs> don't look. Uh, or how or how much money Bristol fucking spent and founded and stagnated despite you know having huge budgets and getting relegated you know and then eventually it wasn't until they found a coach with a fucking plan that they actually became uh, the team that we saw on the weekend like they are where they are Exeter and because they have a brilliant coach a brilliant academy and a fantastic structure top to bottom but you don't get any of that without money to back it up in the first place they don't get promoted without it like money doesn't make you happy. No, it doesn't. But if you're already happy and somebody gives you a load of money, it makes you happy. It genuinely does make you happier because you can do whatever yeah. the fuck you want. Yeah. It's like... So when actually, they got if you've got all those things, it's fine. But it's um, Yeah, and it's not like they came up with a fucking squad of Devonians either. You look at that squad of... The extra squad that got promoted and was in the Premiership for the first year. It's just journeymen from Premiership clubs that they paid over the odds to come and be in the Championship for a year. Players like James Skaysbrook, you know, he used to play for Bath. Hmm. And then, you know, you look at that, and okay, you know, a couple of them are still there. You know, Steenson and, and Phil Dolman, and fair play to them for enduring as they have. But, like, these things don't happen without the cash. You're part of, like, it's not a criticism. It's yeah. just a fact. Nobody's it's just not being naive. It it's it not being naive. It's just not being naive about it. You know, Exeter are one of the fucking establishment now. They're a, a very rich you know, yeah. elite club in Britain. And it's fine because the establishment love a bit of casual racism. So just crack and on. And it lads. seems that everybody, all senior decision makers in your club are basically racist. So. Yeah, so they fit right in, right in there. Uh, but yeah, it's, it's they're going to win everything, aren't they? This year, there's no fucking way they're not going to win the Premiership. And I think I'll be very surprised if they don't beat Racing in a couple of weeks as well. And no, a hell indeed. of an achievement. Hell of an achievement. Should we move on to shit good? Yes, we should. Uh, what have you got that's shit this week? Um, players knee sliding in on other players, scoring tries again. I, I'm going to keep talking about this until referees start sending... Chuck um, Noel, fucking latest example Reece this Zanet weekend. just missed um, Ben Spencer yeah. last week as well. It's like, stop doing it. Like, if the refs need to start just fucking carding them, because yeah. it's just shithouse behaviour. It's just basic shithouse behaviour. Shit Thank you very much. <laughs> it's yeah, just it? not. It's, I'd say it's a cunt trick, it's, actually. It is a cunt trick. It's a, it's a cheap shot cunt trick on people who are prone and can't do anything about it. Yeah. And you can never do anything. The only time I've, I can ever remember it getting done is when Liam Williams got sent off for it for Wales a few years ago. Is it against Argentina or something like that? I don't even remember that, you know. I think in the end it wasn't even a try was scored because Liam Williams fucking shit housed him, but it was. <laughs> but it never happens, and I for the light I just can't understand what refs aren't seeing when they see somebody slide in and drop the elbow or drop a knee on someone who's going. Enough over of the it's line. mentioned on social media now for I think somebody to pick it up and probably Surely. have a review of it, isn't it? Yeah. What have we got here? Shit. Rob Eaton gets in touch. It, it was Rob before he said, he said, Rob says shit is clearly the millions this podcast is missing out on by not having an exclusive Patreon level where Josh and Lee decide what military animal you are. Yeah, 20 true. quid a month. 
If you're into that, then let us know. <laughs> uh, Simon says on Twitter, he says, shit, is second-tier club rugby having to have their funding cut everywhere? He said, but good is also that Saris are now a second-tier rugby. Yeah, they won't have their fucking funding cut. Fucking if they will, it won't make any difference. Um, yeah, I mean, it's, we had a very long discussion about funds before, shit. Simon. Yeah, it is. It's shit. It is crap. I mean, and, and you know, I, I don't think it's unreasonable to say that rugby could do reviewing the realistic, how realistic they want to be about funding, but it still doesn't mean it's not totally shit. The seismic, yeah. event, you know, the sh- what will yeah. happen there is, there is an to argument make it that happen. There, there is an argument that there are far too many rugby clubs in the British Isles. Yeah. <laughs> what can I tell you? It's, but it doesn't make it any less shit that that might be the case. Jack Marshall says is that shit is sale, well, no, the sale of named Rohan Yancy van Redsburg on the wing against Saints, but shit is that Takeli Nairavoro is not starting for Southampton, oh. thus de- de- depriving us of very, very large collisions. <laughs> um, Luke on Twitter says his shit is the name for South Africa's new domestic league, Super Rugby Unlocked. That can't be true. I haven't looked this. It's up. true. It's true. But I mean, what but did why? they go through? What I want to what I want to know is what did they go through before this? Like Super Rugby Unleashed, Super Rugby Uncorked, Super Rugby After Dark. Super Rugby Unbelievable. Super, super Rugby Too Hot for TV. <laughs> when Super Rugby Goes Bad. <laughs> super Rugby 2, Super Rugby. <laughs> it's so shit. It's such a, they could have just called it Super Rugby South Africa. Unlocked, Done. though. It's just, yeah. there's, not a great, there's not a fucking lick of sense in it. No, it doesn't. Tell you what's also shit, actually, from South Africa. Uh, radar, which is what they're going with as their um, mantra for racial equality, because perhaps unsurprisingly, they're a bit wary of spraying Black Lives Matter all over the place down there. Uh, it stands for, and you'll like this, Rugby Against Discrimination and Racism, which uh, is not only shit but has now the vibe you know of why what... the, the league got called that because all the time in the meeting was spent trying <laughs> spent to make an acronym work well it has it has the vibe of you know how like Ian Fleming blatantly decided that the baddies would be called Spectre and then came up with the world's crappest acronym mm. for it which is uh, Special Executive for Counterintelligence Terrorism Revenge and Extortion by the way <laughs> um, fucking hell it's awful um they just, yeah, as you say, they tried to create a catchy acronym to dilute the significance of the whole thing, and it's just a really bad one. Just really bad. And it's just got, they've got radar plastered across the pitches. It's like, what does that even fucking mean? How was it locked before? <laughs> you can't get over this, can you? No. I don't blame you. I don't blame you. I think I'm going to Google it to see if there's any kind of logic. I mean, they've not had a very good branding thing down there for a while had they because remember when the, the Tri-Nations expanded and they obviously then they came out of the room and said it's called the Rugby Championship now and you're like what <laughs> oh and, yeah and they, had, and they and created they, uh, that like the, the world's shittest logo yeah, the provincial like business com- hotel logo <laughs> looks like it should be on a pen you know it's kind of- but somehow still there 10 years later yeah, yeah. You, you leave it long enough is is it unlocked because it's got all of the South African teams that haven't gone bust in it? Because it's the Bulls, Sharks, Stormers, and Lions plus the Cheaters. I mean, is that um, is it, I did, but but I didn't know it was locked. I don't, I don't understand what this <laughs> is all about. But it's got it's got the Bulls. It's got the Bulls, Sharks, Stormers, uh, Sharks, Stormers, and Lions. <laughs> Super the Bulls, Sharks, Stormers, and Lions. Right, joined by the Cheaters. Right, 
who are a Pro 14 team. I do remember them, yes. Uh, but also the Pumas and the Griquas, who usually play yeah. in the Curry Cup. So <laughs> they've just gone, just fucking stick it all in there, lads. See what happens. Stick it all in, take the padlock off. Let's see what happens. There you go, Super Rugby Unlocked. Have we yeah. seen a logo yet? Or have we only seen no, a, a name? No, not yet. I've only seen the name and a lot of radar. Super Rugby Unplugged. Uh, anyway, Neil even Webber. Et, even Etzebeth sitting there with a, just an acoustic guitar, <laughs> trying to get trying to get his that massive like biceps ukulele. around the body of it. Yeah, imagine imagine Etzebeth playing a ukulele. There's a fucking vision you want your head. Be like that Israel Kawakamakamo, whatever he was called, but <laughs> taller. Yeah, much taller. Bigger uh, guns. Neil Webber gets in touch. He said, and quite a few others nominated this as well. Said shit was hashtag rugby values. Leicester, the culprits this week, having a picture Ugh. of them. I mean, nobody's done this for a while. It's like Leicester have only just cottoned on. Yeah. It's really strange. Shed sweep, the shed sweeping has come very late to the Midlands. See, I object to this on two levels. One, stop calling them sheds. Yeah. That really pisses me off. It's, and, such a, it's, an anti, it's a Kiwi thing, isn't it? And we two, call them fucking changing rooms up yes. here, mate. And two, why would you clean Toulon's changing room? They literally have more money... <laughs> than a fucking <laughs> government. Why would you basically do some free work for them? Honestly, it's... I'm just so bored of it. I'm so bo- <laughs> it's, it's just such bollocks. It's Performative maybe. bollocks. That's what we're accused of, Josh. Us left-wing types are accused of being performative. <laughs> yeah, and I mean... I just... What is wrong with... Just letting people who are paid to do these things do it. You know, you're taking money out of these people's mouths. You're taking food out of their kids' mouths, for God's sake. And you're making yourself look a right bunch of dickheads on Twitter. Oh, so Honestly. Anyway, um, I got accused of not being very rugby valuesy by saying oh, have a God. good time in the championship, lads, when Saracen's <laughs> lost that game. I don't think rugby. I don't think a lot of rugby fans understand what fan culture is. I think like taking delight in people losing true. is kind of what it, you know. It's funny, guys. <laughs> it's not funny for them, but that's why it's funny. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know what else I can tell you. Speaking of funny and shit, I was reminded today again of, of and I've forgotten about this, the WRU's values. That's oh at the bottom God. of all their emails. They are excellence. All right, fair enough. Yep. Integrity. Mm-hmm. Okay. Success, which is not a value. That's an outcome. Nope. You'd hope yep. you've... Courage. I mean, they always, they're always making brave decisions. Um, family. Sure. Fam- and then, and finally, humour. I mean, one of those things is not like the others. That's... <laughs> it doesn't... <laughs> There's no but getting away from right, it. right, name me one thing you can remember the WRU doing that had any form of humour in it for the past two years. <laughs> I mean, famously, the WIU's kind of humourless, you could argue. Yes. Welsh for humour is humour, by the way, because the Welsh is underneath. Sometimes you just got to stick with what works, don't you? Indeed. So, yeah, but yeah. Excellence, integrity, success, courage, family, humour. <laughs> Bizarre. Honestly. Should we move on to good? Yeah, we better add. I've got a good. Donna Ryan. Who was yes. not to put too fine a point in it, a fucking menace all game. 
<laughs> he was all over the place, wasn't he? In quite a good way. Um, good also is uh, Bristol Bordeaux was just a riot. It was just a very silly game, but I enjoyed every. Treated the Challenge it. Cup as it should be treated. Yeah, exactly. I don't want to see two teams go in a sort of gritty arm wrestle for eighty minutes. I want one hundred and twenty minutes of sh- mental shit. They should treat it like an. Uh... Like a tour match challenge cup now. Everyone has to drink like yeah, cider and have drinks breaks and all sorts. <laughs> Bath Bites gets in touch. He said, and a few others, uh, but he, he says, good is our Lord and Saviour, Alid Brew, is back in rugby as he signed a short-term contract with Scarlets. He has indeed. And uh, that does mean that he becomes one of the few players to complete the uh, the whole the play for all four Welsh. regions thing, which, yeah. I, I mean... If anyone deserves it, it's him. Let's be honest. Like nobody deserves that more. Nobody deserves to be in elite company in Welsh rugby than Alex. And, and the people who are on that list can ne- are nothing short of elite, aren't they? <laughs> they're, a, they're a very elite group of journeymen. Is it Tal Selly? Yeah, he's one of them. I don't know. Tavis Noyle. Tavis uh, Noyle's one. Yeah, Tavis Noyle is one. Um, Obviously, Aled now. Obviously. I'm the other I'm one just, is some really can... unknown scrum half, I think. Uh, let's see. Yeah, Tavis Noyle is one. Um, I never remember him playing fucking Tal Sally was the one. And uh, Liam Davis, who, if you don't remember him, neither do I. Un- <laughs> unknown scrum <laughs> half, as I said. <laughs> and now Aled. Yeah. But at least Alex brought a bit of fucking class to that group now, hasn't exactly. he? Exactly. Like, Tal I mean, he did win a World Cup as a sevens player. Fair play to him. But... Yeah, that don't count, does it? No, it doesn't. Uh, Tavis Noyle, yeah, you know. He's won Osprey's appearance. He's, 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 getting, he's doing a lot of work there. And yeah, Liam Davis played 43 times for the Scarlets, apparently. In two stints. Made four appearances for the Ospreys, which I do not remember at all. Uh, seven for the Dragons and then played for, for the Blues in 2013. I've never, also, before or since, heard of the name Tavis. No, I haven't either, actually. Where does that come from? I'm, I'm interested know. to know. You should ask him. Would you like to hear Liam Davis's list of clubs? Because fair play. Is it's, he a journeyman uh, of the week? Which you could start well, with. Like, well. <laughs> He's gone Fletley, as in the club team. Yeah. Uh, Scarlets, Breve. Ospreys, Aberavon, Swansea, London Welsh, Dax, Scarlet, Slenetley, Dragons, Bedwas, Cardiff Blues, Cardiff Neath. It was like everything he owned in a backpack for basically 10 years, I imagine. It basically, sounds like, between, it? Two, between 2004 and 2013, he played for 15 clubs, including the Scarlets and Slenetley uh, twice. He was like Lawrence Osmond, and for four of those years, he was inside for armed robbery. So. <laughs> And played for Wales in the 21 as well. He was the third choice scrum half at the Scarlets behind Dwayne Peel and Clive Stewart-Smith. He was somebody else who I totally forgot existed. Clive Stewart-Smith sounds like the most senior civil servant in the Welsh office from 1976 to 1984. There's no way that he's a professional rugby player the last 10 years. <laughs> well, no, but he, he was a professional rugby player, but in the sense that he played for Exeter and Gloucester. 
Right, moving on to the rest of Good. Immediately. Uh, James Gork, Roger gets in touch. He said, Good is Nigel Owens penalising Racing for not following the five-second rule at the Rook. He only did that to get on an article on Wales Online, though. So I mean, to be fair to him, I do think he genuinely didn't want to give that. But he'd said no. twice that they need to do something with it, and they were still building the fucking human caterpillar. And he went, and, it, and he, he could always seem like sort of like how are you <laughs> just withdrawing himself, kind of going, "Oh fucking hell, lads! Look, it's a penalty. Christ's sake, lads! You know." <laughs> Seb gets in touch. He says that um, Good was the racing try at the end. Yeah, but he said, but he said shit, and a few people have mentioned this. He said shit is the plucky nobody narrative now drifting from Saris to Exeter. Like Sauron's honestly, eye of journalistic honestly, wank, guys. It can't. It can't. Just no. Um, good. Remember Matthew Jalibert? I do remember Matthew Jalibert. He, well, he okay, came on for. He was. He was back I on the bench for France. Now. He was back on the bench for France, wasn't he, early in the year? Yeah. Oof. That was hell of a try. What it he was. scored. And I fucking love him. I want him. Honestly, he's fantastic. Him and Carbonell. I want like. Don't get me wrong, I'm enjoying Intermac a lot for France and for Toulouse, but part of me is sad that he has usurped the glorious future that was supposed to be Jalibert and Carbonell as France's two insane tens for the next 10 years. It's not fair. Yes. Uh, 10-Ep says good was Machinot's luxuriant hair. Honestly, fabulous hair. Basically, Andy McDowell for four weddings and a funeral is what his hair was, if you watch that. But yeah, it's like you, some, one, one player at Racing at any one time has to have just fabulous Leonine locks. <laughs> and now that fucking Sarzewski's gone, there's only one, you know, he's just gone, you know what, I'm going to take this for the team. I'm going to have fabulous When Machino hair. came on, it was kind of like, quiet now, the adults are talking. Machino's on. <laughs> there is something just like... he. I, I feel like he will get a lot more props when he retires than he perhaps has had during his career. Mm. Because he's one of the very few sane French scrumars of the last two decades. I mean, you like, don't want that too much, do you, in a scrum half? You don't want too much of it, certainly not in a French scrum half, but he is like proper reassuring presence. He's going to kick the goals. He's going to not do anything stupid. He's going to kick well. He's a big unit. He's going to be beautiful the whole time he's, he's doing gonna it. He's going to look absolutely stunning. i tell you what, he's had a glow up as well. You remember like, photos of him when he was still playing for fucking uh, Argen? In his and he's he's a bit porky and he had a sort of emo haircut and now he's like rippling and he's got a beard and fabulous hair. It's like fair play to him. The um, I love a Riberen though as well. I love a Riberen. He's the he's the other side of that coin, isn't he? Yeah, and that's that's what I want. A Riberen, I've got a really soft spot, and I don't care how effective it is, but I have a real soft spot for players who manufacture a pass no matter what position their body is in at scrum half. (laughs) And he's a fucking wonder at that. No matter where his legs and his arms are, somehow he manufactures like a 10-metre pass. It's fucking glorious. It's an underrated athletic ability. He also is one of the most French-looking men you'll ever see. Well, he looks like that a young version of that actor, Vincent. What's his face? Yes, he does, off Leon. Oh, what's his name? 
Yeah, he plays him. a bad guy and stuff. Yes. He looks exactly... But he also looks like he's just stepped out of Cirque du Soleil or something. You know, it's like... if any, <laughs> He looks any like stereotyp- he's going to be packed into a box and get out of it somehow. <laughs> any stereotypical French pastime, you know, <laughs> I, like Teddy Arriba... He looks like he's dead good at committed adultery. <laughs> <laughs> Other French tropes are available. <laughs> he looks like he's then good at making really rich sauces when he's cooking. Uh, yeah, it's it's just something about him. You know when somebody just looks their nationality, it's, I mean, your dog does. Your dog agrees. Yeah, your dog agrees. I mean, that's yeah. me, my daughter returning from her boyfriend's house. Yeah, anyway. Hey, uh, where were we? <laughs> uh, we just we just got carried just, away oh, talking about how much away we a stream of consciousness about French halfbacks. <laughs> we haven't even mentioned the best one. Uh, no, we haven't. Well, no, that'll be another half hour on the pod. We might yeah, skip that. Play we all know. You all know. You all know. What we're talking about. Uh, Graham Golvin gets in touch. He says, "Good was Finn Russell. I know you posted a tweet mid-match, and it was a fair comment at the time. But that Sarri's defence is relentless. You press your forces, mistakes. Just look at Sexton last week." It was Finn's brilliance that unlocked the Sarri's Borg-esque defence and more power to him. Yeah, well, I think we've got over that. I see what you're saying, yeah. Graham. Gareth Jones gets in touch. He says, good. As you've mentioned, the Bristol versus Bordeaux game. Two sides wanting to fling it about and keep the ball in play in knockout rugby. Why the fuck not? The world's insane anyway. Who cares anymore? <laughs> That's been my attitude to everything, really. Is Who cares? As far as rugby goes, who cares at the moment? Everything's okay. on fire. Just let it happen. Yeah. The only thing we cared about is Saracen's going to the championship, but we cared about that before the pandemic, so we've carried yeah. that through consistently. Yeah. And I think, unless you've got any more good, that could be us. Oh, that's that's got to be the end of us, surely. Thank you very much, everybody, for your time. Thank you for listening. Thank you for everything that you do. Look after yourselves and each other, and we'll see you... <laughs> <laughs> And we'll speak to you all next week. It's a good night from me. It's a good night from me. (laughs) See you. At AIB, we don't make technology for you to bank. We make it for you to live. So you can apply and get a loan through your AIB app or online. All from the comfort of home. Banking to fit the way you live. AIB, we back doing. Lender criteria, terms, and conditions apply. Over 18s only, subject to approval. Security may be required. Allied Irish Banks PLC is regulated by the Central Bank of Ireland. Sports Social Podcast Network. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on chumbacasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at chumbacasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's chumbacasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. DTW, avoid, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus.